Friends and folks, Editor6 here dropping in the top, let you know we have a uh, content warning for part of this episode. Um, at a timestamp of about 144.45 to 158.37, uh, we discuss the arc of a character named Hachiro Iba, and as part of his arc, there is a discussion of uh, sexual assault. It is not graphic, and it is not it is it is like a aborted uh, attempt. Um, that is not an essential character's route to understand the game. Um, so you can easily skip that if that sounds unpleasant to you. If that doesn't sound like what you want, um, we will also note it at that time and tell you what to skip to. So um, when that pops up. That's what we're talking about. If you don't want to hear that, just just skip right past it. Uh, please enjoy the episode. And welcome to Novel Not New, a true end podcast. We are a narrative gaming book club podcast where we select a narrative heavy video game and uh, play a new one each month and then talk about it. <laughs> I'm your host, Jennifer Uncle. I'm Six Detmar. And uh, this is going to be, well, this we're saying goodbye to a few things in this episode. One, we finally finished uh, the two-part uh, remake of Hakuwoki, um, which we initially podcasted about, what, like four years ago at this point? Maybe a little bit yep. further than that? No, just barely under four years. I believe it was October of 2018. Ah, okay. Yeah, so we were saying Goodbye to Hakuoki. We are saying goodbye to the Shinsengumi, and uh, we are saying goodbye to Abnormal Mapping. Um, this is going to be our last episode for the network, and um, starting next month, we're moving over to the Scanline Media Patreon. Yeah, um, we'll talk. We'll talk a little more about that. We talked about it last episode some, and we'll talk a little more at the end of the episode about about everything. But. Um... Yeah, kind of the only way for us to sensibly keep the podcast going. Um, so I'm glad we found a way to do it, at least. Yeah, and we have a lot of exciting things up our sleeves in the near future. But for now, let's focus on let's focus on what we've been up to lately. Like, have you read any interesting story six or experienced any interesting stories? Uh, so I've been watching a lot of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. I'm about 20 episodes in now, and it's uh, it's about 100-something episodes long, so, you know, I've still got a little ways to go. Um, 
I'm glad to say that that show has shed some of my early impressions. I liked it to begin with, but one of my big problems was, um, so it's a show about a big space war between, uh, basically the Empire and the Free Planets Alliance, which is formed of people who were once of the Empire and now are like, no fucking Empire. Um, fairly understandably. And so we follow various characters, but for the most part, we're centered on the two, like, big uh, heroes of each side, the galactic heroes, if you will. Um, on the side of the Empire, we have uh, Reinhardt von Lohengram, who is uh, a... Basically, his sister was made uh, consort to the Emperor, and he managed to leverage that into... Um, getting a, a military position and is rising rapidly up the ranks because of his military and political genius. On the other hand, you have Yang Wenli on the Free Planets Alliance, who is an officer who pulled out some heroics at a, at a, a certain moment where everybody else was failing and so started to rise up the ranks. And he doesn't have the political genius, just the military one. He's really stupid when it comes to politics, actually. <laughs> I was wondering whether your opinions on Yang Wenli had changed at all in the time since we covered it on Oops All Anime. They have, actually. Because when we covered it on Oops All Anime, he was like a petty officer, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so he spent a lot of time basically jerking himself off about how much it was a bummer that no one listened to him. And it was fucking insufferable. Um... I hated him so much back then because he would sit there as people were dying and just, like, literally drink brandy and talk about how, man, if you were listening to me, you wouldn't be dying. Just the worst. Um, now he keeps getting promoted. And now he now it's much more, like, both relatable and enjoyable when he's a admiral being like, ah, fuck, I guess I have to fucking help people. I mean, listen, I want to help people, but I really wish I was not in a war. Can I please have some more brandy? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's mostly, like, at this point for him, he just, like, every, every, every time he does a job, he does it, you know, ridiculously well, and then he gets promoted further and further up the ranks. As I say, he's at Admiral now. Um, and... I appreciate, I have over, over the years of my life realized more and more how much it is the case that for really important positions of leadership, the best person for the job is someone who does not fucking want the job. Um, and so Yang Wenli is the right person for the jobs he's being given and it's miserable for him. And it's like, okay, that's a, that's a combination that I can watch on screen. Okay, so you're saying he's more relatable at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it wasn't necessarily that he was unrelatable before, but it's like, it's a difference of, like, when I'm at work and I'm like, wow, these policies are really stupid. People should think, like, there are some policies I could point out that are a deep, deep waste of time that we do at my job that I have better ideas, right? And, like... It's not hard to say that. You work in a retail store, your store manager is going to have some dumb ideas. That's just how it goes, though mine is dumber than most, and I know that because I've had other ones. Um, and it's easy for me to be like, ah, man, I could run some of this better. Because that doesn't matter. We're talking about, like, selling fucking, you know, cans of food and, like, you know, Fisher-Price toys. 
when it's people's lives at stake, it has a very different tone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I imagine it does. So that was, that was, yeah, that was my, my Yang Wenli beef. And now it's, it's better. He does still do some like incredibly boneheaded things. Like he, um, there's an episode of him just trying to clean up a mess he makes because he flies to a place for like a military meeting. And the second he steps off, uh, the, the plane, a bunch of photographers and a dude run up to him and the dude like shakes his hand and is like, yes, I love the troops. And he's like, I wonder what that was about. And it's like, you moron, that's a politician running for office who's a warmonger who you just sort of implicitly supported. He's like, oh, it's like, yeah, you fucking idiot. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, you know, he's got his struggles. Yeah. Um, I will say it also was really fun to have that in contrast to Reinhardt, who is just like... Yeah, he's just being, you know, the chess master all the time and uh, playing Imperial politics really well. And uh, I don't know, it's fun to watch. It's a good show. Yeah, I've been meaning to check it out again sometimes. It's just like the number of episodes can be pretty intimidating. <laughs> it's a long show. It really is. And, you know, I, I have been focusing on it and I'm still only 20 episodes in. But for me, it's like... I just, like, when I have a moment where I'm not doing anything and I feel kind of like I would like to decompress a little, I just put on one or two episodes. It's like, okay, great. So, it's been nice. Yeah. What about you and stories told? So, um, in the middle half, in the middle part of this year, I ended up replacing my Kindle with a, um, Kobo reader and, um... Finally, after a long time of just avoiding books for whatever reason, even though I'm a literature major, um, I decided, hey, I want to start reading a ton of stuff again. And uh, my friend Mark recommended me a series called The Book of, a New the, Book of the New Sun, um, which is this interesting mix of sci-fi and fantasy. Which, fantasy is also kind of a thing where... I've had some bad run-ins with fantasy before. Like, I tried to read The Name of the Wind at one point, and I got a quarter <laughs> of the way through it before being like, I don't know if I like fantasy, but uh, <laughs> I ended up picking this up because a friend was recommending it to me, and it's really fucking good. Like, um, I finished Shadow of the Torture and Claw of the Conciliator, so I'm about halfway through the series. Um... It basically focuses on this uh, apprentice for this Torturer's Guild named Severian. Torturer's Guild is basically like they spend their time torturing and executing people and things like that. But uh, they're basically brought into that guild when they're as young as kids. And um, when he was little, he ended up uh, inadvertently saving the life of a... Basically a rebel named Vodalus, who's basically rebelling against uh, the system of power there. And because of that, he ended up being given a golden coin and more or less saw that exchange as him pledging his loyalty to that person throughout. Like, Severian is an interesting person because he technically works for the state in terms of, like, even though he gets exiled from the Torturers Guild, he's still, like going around and doing that job and he sees himself Wait, why does he get exiled from the torturers guild oh yes he gets exiled because 
he meets this woman named Thecla, whom he ends up uh, overseeing, more or less, as uh, she's basically in a holding pattern for a while. And when she gets introduced to a specific type of torture, which would be hell for her to end up living through, he takes matters into her into his own hands and uh, hands her a knife so she can stab herself. And basically the torturers see that as a betrayal of sorts. So he's given orders to basically, okay, you're going to head off into this other city and you're going to go ahead and be their main torturer. We could kill you, but you've been... You have enough friends in high places that it's less embarrassing for us if you just go. And uh, Severian is a really interesting person because... He's still committed to seeing through his exile, but he also sees himself as a member of this rebel group now. So it's him constantly battling internally like, okay, I have to fulfill the role that my guild has given me. But I also have to help this rebel somehow. And, like, the series of the books is basically him finding ways to maybe accomplish both contradictory goals. He's also, like, he's someone who has what he calls perfect memory. And when that initially gets introduced, you just think, okay, so he just remembers everything. But it's more severe than that. Like, if he sees something that reminds him of a specific moment, he can just be caught reminiscing the exact details and replaying the scene in his head while everything else fades around him. And not to spoil anything major, but there is a point where he ends up... He basically ends up taking on the memories of someone else, and that basically gives him a sort of plurality, in a sense. Like, when hmm. he just slips... He has to more or less focus on not being this other person that is now living in his head. From the memories alone. It's interesting that you ended up, like, you were like, man, I don't know about fantasy. Oh, this one about somebody torturing people for a living? Okay, never mind. This is great. <laughs> to be fair, he doesn't really linger on that element too much. Like, there's moments where they describe the moments. I There's moments where he describes one of his uh, executions or things like that. But for the most part, he sees that as just a thing he did to get through various scenarios. And... Torturers are not well-liked among the populace in this world, so... <laughs> yeah, well, but... It's truly fantasy. <laughs> so different from our own world. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's more like this... Imagine if the executioners in the real world basically just wore a giant fulligan cloak that was basically, okay, here's the executioner cloak. So basically he's walking around this gigantic world and everyone knows who he is just by glance alone and uh there's some interesting tension there in terms of like okay despite all that he's finding people who end up liking him and he doesn't know what to do with that because he just occasionally goes you do know what i do right i kill people <laughs> and i uh listen yeah. i know what you're getting at jen but i want to point out that officially executioner is not a profession in our world anymore yeah, that's a good point. 
we call them, <laughs> and if you want to say they wear like these special uniforms, then you're just talking about cops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I do get what you're getting at. It's, it's, it's fun to sort of poke holes and tease you a little bit, but I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I will say since you tried a uh, name of the wind, I did like that book at the time. Um, but first of all, its immediate sequel is dog shit. Um, and also upon reading that sequel, you go, huh, maybe if I went back, I would figure out that I was young when I read that previous book. And it has much of the same sins because basically Patrick Rothfuss, uh, at least those two books he's written. I don't think he's really written anything else except for maybe some short stories. Uh, loves, like it's borderline like fucking isekai, right? In like, like self insert you know, masturbation fantasy. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, that, that was basically my impression from the first book, just the way that he's basically that main character has this whole tragically cool thing about him where he's just constantly getting laid all the time and is super powerful and stuff. Oh, you have stuff. no idea. Literally, like, I, that second book is so long. I would, I think it's like half again as long as the first book. It's gigantic, and fully half of it is him talking about how much he fucks. It's so unbearable. He's like, and then I sexed two ninjas. True, that's what's in the book. He's <laughs> like, and then I got captured by a sex demon, and we had sex for, yeah, I don't know how long. But then she was like, "Damn, you're too good at sex. I have to let you go." It's so fucking bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh in summary i am skeptical about the torture book but it certainly sounds better than yeah. that like i wasn't aware that it was a considered a fantasy classic but apparently it's very well regarded and uh hmm. i will say if folks want to get into it i'll warn that the second book has a pretty graphic scene of sexual assault by the protagonist but uh yeah Overall, aside from that, I've been having a great time with it. Cool. Yeah, uh, we, until now, folks, we've done, you know, like, what story games have you been playing lately? And finally, I had a breakdown, and I was like, Jen, I can't keep playing two games for our game club every month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I have been playing other games, but, like, Digimon Survive, uh, I haven't gotten super far into, just because it's something I kind of keep bouncing off of and then getting back into and then uh yeah i've been trying some other stuff too but it didn't seem like it'd be very interesting to bring up on the podcast and uh i have some things i could talk about but i think one of the few things i could do to get jen genuinely angry is be like well what i brought for you today is i've been playing metal gear solid 5 again so <laughs> Uh, it's better than when you, it's better than you basically bring it in. Okay, why don't we talk about this isekai that when I watched? No, that's me doing my job, Jen. Fair. But <laughs> enough of my job. It's time for you to do yours, sitting back. You're a host. Yeah, we are here to discuss Hakuoki Ido Blossoms, uh, the second in a two-part remake of a visual novel called Hakuoki. In 
it's done by Otomate and published by Idea Factory. And uh, it's it's interesting because I wouldn't necessarily call it, even though it's the second part, it cuts in a weird way where it's not necessarily the second half so much as like the last uh, 20% of the story or so. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a game that, like, first of all, the original game was six roots. This remake is 12. And they basically found a point in the story where they could shove in a crowbar and split it in half. Um, it's not as rough as that sounds, but it's not super elegant. And I think, I mean, we're, we have that episode from four years ago. We are so much better at podcasting than we were then, is one thing I'll say. Um, and the other thing I'll say is, Naturally, we're going to talk about Kyoto Wins as part of this, so you have a full experience here. You can just listen to this episode if you want. If you want to go back and listen, I'm sure there will be stuff we say on that we don't say here, but we are going to cover both games. Yeah. It's going to be... I might forget some of the names of the battles here just because some of that kind of just blends together for me, but uh, essentially... Hakuboki stars Chizuru Yukimura, um, who ends up heading over to Kyoto um, after her father disappears. Um, she ends up uh, seeing the Shinsengumi cut down some, like, creepy civilians who- oh, well, they cut down their own men who are acting in a creepy way. And they're like, okay, well, we need to take you with us because we're not sure what to do with you yet. It comes uh, out... Shinsengumi, this should be a step. Uh, they're decently popular, but mostly in, you know, Japanese media. So it is possible you won't know who they are. The Shinsengumi are a group of both samurai and uh, peasants, though historically, like, almost all samurai. Um, they exaggerate the peasant side for this, as most stories do. Um, but they're a group of people who are, uh, lordless, uh, swordsmen who basically band together to be cops. Basically, they are there to enforce what they believe to be the will of the shogunate. And, uh, that often involves going on street patrols and, uh, like, cutting down troublemakers or taking them for interrogation, things like that. And occasionally, mm -hmm. um, going to war when they're asked to. Yeah, they're in this story at least they're shown as pretty righteous in their in their cause, but you know, it's complicated <laughs> with cops. Yeah. Anyway, once they take her in, um A they find out she's a girl because she's been basically disguising herself as a boy to get around Kyoto by herself, and uh B they find out that um she's the daughter of the doctor they've been working with. Um for mysterious purposes. So they end up unofficially or officially making her Hijikata's page. Uh, Hijikata is the leader of the group, more or less. Like, there is someone higher up, but Hijikata oversees all of the day-to-day -day happenings. And, uh, yeah, eventually she figures out that They've been drinking this serum her father made called the Water of Life, which turns people into furies, which is like a... It's like a vampire, but they can be out in the sunlight sometimes, and if they don't have blood for a little while, they just 
start going insane. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sun sunlight impairs their powers and hurts them, but it doesn't like turn them to ash. Yeah. And that's basically why they're looking for her father, just to be like, okay, can you help us figure out how to make this in a way that our people won't continuously die or go insane? And, uh, yeah, one thing leads to another, and she ends up uh, alongside them through various important battles, as well as the day-to-day happenings of the Shinsengumi. Um She's also being chased by a specific... She's being chased by a demon named Chikage Kasuma, who reveals that she is also a demon, and he basically wants her because a female demon is rare, and he wants to marry her. And, uh... Yeah, you get introduced to a bunch of different characters as the Shinsengumi end up having a few successes, but then end up on the back foot as uh, the Satsuma Chosu um, end up combining their forces. And uh, yeah, it looks bad for the Shokunet. <laughs> so Shinsengumi end up fleeing to Edo, Japan. And uh, that's where the second half of the game takes place. Yeah. Um, and historically speaking, they're sort of working on the the context that you would know that the Shinsengumi did not have a happy end, right? Um, they lost the war and they mostly got killed for their trouble. Um, also worth noting real quick, just a, a clarification to throw in. Not everyone is a fury. Basically, the way this, this serum works is it's considered a last resort if you're about to die. Um, you drink it and because you have, you know, superpowers, you heal really fast. So that means... Probably you won't die from whatever's killing you, but then you're, you know, cursed in this way. Yeah, and with, like, one or two exceptions in the first half, whoever you end up romancing, whoever's route you go on, they end up having to drink the water of life uh, to survive one attack or another. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you get to Edo, Japan, and uh, the Shinsengumi are promised um, a castle if they can successfully hold it off from the Satsuma Chosu. Um, they fail miserably, and uh, <laughs> they sooner or later they are once again on the run as uh, you basically go along with them as they head out to... It's Aizu, right? Uh, yes. Well, it's They go to Aizu... And then they go to Ezo. Um, so Aizu is the domain that originally sponsored the Shinsengumi, and they fight there. And they head up to Ezo, which is uh, modern-day Hokkaido, um, to sort of form their own country temporarily. Yep. And in most routes, that's basically where they make their last stand. And uh, who survives and uh, who survives, and how you remember the Shinsengumi is all up to which person you chose in the beginning like the big difference between this half and the the big difference between kyoto winds and edo blossoms is that uh for edo blossoms it you basically choose who you want whose path you want to be on at the beginning while kyoto winds is more the situation where who you end up being with depends on the choices you've made throughout the game i mean kyoto winds is a lot shorter um, but that's because it is really just, like, the back, like, third 
of each character's roots. And it is all original. Sorry. Yeah. Edo Blossoms. Um, Kyoto wins, you know, starts from the same point for every route. And, you know, you'd make choices like a normal, you know, Otome or other dating game. And through that, you know, the route changes as it realizes who you're going after. Um, But with this one, it's like you are already on a route. And so all of the content is original per route, but also they're pretty short. Usually Hijikata's is longer than everybody else's, but you know, yeah, because he's the cannon boy. <laughs> he gets an extra chapter because he's the cannon boy. Yeah. So yeah, at this point, um, I think we're more or less just going to go through the various characters here because the story can diverge wildly depending on who you're playing as. I mean, depending on who you're romancing, more or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I've written up uh, little quick summaries for each character, and then we'll read a summary, and then we'll get into what their route was like, and, you know, all that. All right. Um, start off by reading off Toshiso Hijikata's. The commander of the Shinsengumi, Hijikata's stern and unyielding demeanor, earned him the nickname Demon by his men. He is, for- he is fiercely loyal, an expert swordsman, and hard to please, though his bitter attitude does mask an inner sweetness if you push hard enough. Yeah. Um, one nice thing compared to when we first did this, when we when we recorded for Kyoto Wins, uh, I had a lot of trouble with this character because his voice actor, I had one role, a Gundam role that I very specifically associated with him with. <laughs> um, I've watched a lot more anime since then. And it's like, oh, OK, it's like I do just hear this voice actor, but I'm not always imagining a certain Gundam character and it makes it much easier for me to, to like connect with the guy because I'm not just being like, walk on. Why are you saying that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, I can't say that I recognize his voice from other things, but uh, I do like his rough attitude more or less. Like he's good at just, I I don't know about the localization sometimes because (laughs) Sometimes he's more or less saying calm your tits, but uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh there is a point in his route where he like he goes fury, pulls out his sword and says, You picked the wrong day to fuck with me, boys. And it's like, I can hear the Japanese. He did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh I I will know as we go, we'll note like some of these characters we both did. Uh, some of these characters only one of us did. We did make sure to cover everyone, but, like, um, I am a fast reader. Um, altogether, between these two games, I spent 40 hours. Um, and as I say, that's fast, and I didn't do all the characters. So there's a level of just sanity preservation we did, not every all both of us doing every route. Yeah, it was closer to, like, 52 hours for me, but uh, I'm a slower reader than sixes. <sighs> um... Hijikata, I mean, like, being the canon love interest, I feel like he has the most conventional arc. Um, I was... It's it's a fun fun thing to remember, since I listened to our Kyoto Wins episode before doing this. Um, That was your first Otome game. Um, Have you played more since then, really? Yeah. Like, I've played Code Realize, and uh, I've touched a few here and there. So you know that, like... Hijikata is kind of one of the two types of Otome game, like, canon love interest, right? 
there's the like like harmless jokey guy who is a common type and then there's the basically sundere which is you know, he's the male version of a sundere but that's what hijikata is um for that i think he's pretty well executed um his voice acting is good he's given a role that makes him feel like I know you look at compare it to Cold Code Realize, where you have Arsene as your your main your canon love interest, and Arsene is given I felt like disproportionate importance. Like the story always goes out of the way to make him the star in ways that um just feels like okay, this is main boy syndrome. Whereas Hishikata is you know the commander of the Shinsengumi, and so him being in a like in a spotlight very often even in other people's roots makes perfect sense yeah like in many of many of the other routes he's the one who gives the go-ahead on your relationship with another member of the shinsengumi or Mm -hmm. he makes up an excuse to get the two of you alone or he's just like ah get out of here you two (laughs) or he's even just like like narratively has to be the voice of like the the soul of the story at times right where like it's like okay these are our orders and you know the the like the what other captains in the room is like sir are you sure about this and he should his has to be like shut the fuck up i don't like it either <laughs> um sort of letting you know that like no it's okay in this moment to think that this is bad because Hishikata, who is you know the heart and soul of the shinsengumi is here to tell you we have to do this it sucks yeah, there's a lot of moments where someone will say something gruff and Chizuru will react with surprise, like, are you really that heartless? And someone has to take her aside to be like, no, they're just saying this because they have to get it done and they kind of hate it. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, like, originally when we first did Kyoto Wins, I didn't do Hijikata. We split it up more evenly and we didn't have any overlap. Um, yeah, and the reason why I pushed you to do Hijikata this time is I went to the ending and then the ending revealed that the game is named after Hijikata in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it seemed um, pretty important to make sure that you played it this time. Yeah. Cause, cause it, yeah, in the fifth chapter that only he gets, he has a duel with Kazama, who's the demon who's been a big problem for you this whole time. And, um, because the water of life, this serum that turns you into a not vampire is basically demon blood. It's not the same kind of demon as, as Kazuma and all the demons of Japan. It is one of the Western demon clans who I guess are vampires. Um, but is it because he knows that he has spent this whole time calling anyone who drinks it a fake and is just really pissed at them for imitating demons so poorly in his mind. Um, and this is finally the moment where he's like, no, actually, you're a genuine demon. I respect you. Um, and he, and he gives him the name Hakuoki, a demon of the fleeting blossoms out of respect. Um, one of the few good guy Kazama moments you get in any route but his. (laughs) (laughs) Um, there's some moments here and there, like. Sure. Yeah. In one of the later routes we'll talk about, he does this cool team up with the rest of the team. But, uh, Yeah. (laughs) he's basically if someone shows him enough power he's like oh damn you're kind of cool actually yeah yeah he's a he's a cartoon boy um another thing that i really liked from his route is like i like how we get the best view of of ezo right this like temporary country they make 
um, for for only like one season, right? For a winter. But even in canon, it is true that for one season, they're like, no, we're going to make our own country up here. Uh, the Shinsengumi and all the, the Shogunate loyalists. And here we have our own land. And isn't this nice? And then, of course, when spring comes, they get crashed and killed. Um, yeah. And you also get to spend the most time with uh, the elected president of this particular um, isolated nation. Um, mm-hmm. I'm blanking on his name, but he's pretty charming in terms of like, he's basically, he gets introduced to the Shinsengumi and he has more or less focused entirely on Western tactics and him and Hijikata do not get along at the beginning because... Hijikata- oh, you're mixing two characters. You're combining two characters. Um, you're talking about uh, Keisuke Otori, who is the, like, he's the commander for Ezo, but he's not the the leader. The actual leader is Takeaki Enomoto, uh, Enomoto, who's that dude who shows up with the mustache every now and then. Right, the one with the really good mustache. <laughs> yeah, he, I was like, wow, I don't, maybe you did a route where you see a lot more of him than I did. Mostly he just shows up to be a semi-decent dude and then disappear. Um, Otori, yeah, Otori is a character who is this, like, he comes off at first very much as this rich brat, but it's like, no, he is rich and he is kind of clueless, but he is like, he has a good heart and he does the right thing over and over. Yeah. And it's nice to see Otori and Hijikata warm up to one another as the route goes on. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun character. I also like how it's a situation where, like, it almost feels like they they ha- feel like they have to highlight main character syndrome because, like, during this route, everyone's like, man, you and Hijikata are really good together. This seems like how this should have gone. And you're like, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's something. Uh, I also like the way... Um, a large part of the arc is just like finding a way to like get your foot in the door and and push past Hishikata's stubborn streak because he has it like both just as a leader he has to be stubborn about certain things but also just in really dumb ways he decides to be stubborn sometimes and you learning to be like no I'm just going to keep yelling at you till you do what I want is kind of good <laughs> yep the only way to make way with a stubborn character is to be even more stubborn. Those Edo women, I tell you. <laughs> this gets said a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially by Hijikata. <laughs> yeah, but everybody, but other people too. Lots of roots where people are like, gosh, Edo women, what am I going to do? That's like, okay. All right, sure. <laughs> um, Yeah. No, I uh, I like this route a fair bit. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it, because I know that you typically bounce off of the main love interests in these sorts of games. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, it, was, it was nice they gave him a lot more personality than those characters usually get. Um, next, we're going to head to one that I didn't do, uh, Soji Okita. Um, so, Captain of the Shinsengumi's First Division, Okita's fearless swordsmanship is matched only by his sarcastic nature and being the most doom boy of all, <laughs> because he catches tuberculosis on top of everything else. His fondness for pranks and mean jokes foreshadows his genuine love of warfare and how he doesn't value life. Jen, how was Mr. TB? <laughs> so, 
Before we get to his bit in Edo, it's important to summarize a little bit of Kyoto. Like, this is one of the of routes where your your secret twin brother does appear, and it's maybe the route where he's his cruelest, because he basically is just laughing all the time about how your boyfriend has TB and he fucking sucks and he's gonna <laughs> take it out on y'all. <laughs> um... In this one, does he does he does he ever like fake cough to make fun of him? I don't think so. No. <laughs> Damn, he's not on that level. I should have known. But, <laughs> but Kaoru's just a fucking loser, to be honest. He can't even be a villain, right? Yeah. And taking the water of life does somewhat um, initially reduce the TB symptoms for Okita, but uh, it's only a matter of time before it starts creeping back in anyway. And on Wait, top of- seriously? Yeah. <laughs> he turns undead to avoid TB, and TB still beats vampirism? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, that's rough. I just assumed he took it and he was fine, and then he felt weird about it. No. <laughs> well, the thing is, they, this is something that comes out, comes out in almost every route, either by one of the demons or one of the researchers. But, um... Uh, it turns out that when a human drinks the water of life, they are not gaining superhuman powers so much as just spending the life they have in front of them. And uh, mm-hmm. the more you end up using the powers, the shorter your life goes until you just turn to dust Infinity War style. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it basically, since Okita already had uh, TB, it's not curing him of that it's just a situation where it's like okay yeah it's you're still gonna die of this at some point if you don't kill yourself using the powers <laughs> he's and, burning the candle at both ends and then also holding a lighter up to the middle <laughs> <laughs> yeah and on top of that your brother ends up ambushing you and like force feeding you the water of life so whoa what yeah <laughs> so basically throughout this route you're like okita is basically taking care of you and guiding you through like the symptoms you're having because of it all the while you're still feeding him your blood and stuff to kind of keep the fury powers at bay are are you having a back and forth like you're like you feed him and then you're like oh no i'm having an episode cop in my mouth (laughs) (laughs) no you basically just ride out the effects each time until you like Ah. you finally get to the point where you face off against your evil as fuck father and uh, your your brother and um, who like the brother ends up downing the water of life himself so that he can also like fight Okita and potentially win though Okita still slays the shit out of him and uh, I do believe the two of you end up getting told by Kodo where the cure for the water of life is because it turns out in several of these routes, there's a brook over closer to your village where if you drink from it, the curse disappears more or less. Yeah. You still technically have it, but it's like so much lessened that it's not really a problem. Um, does it cure his TB or are you like, do you get to bury him at the end of his route? Like, how does this go? <laughs> um, it does not cure him, but it's also a situation where it's like, well, we're just going to be together and your symptoms are less than they used to be. So I'll just ride out whatever remaining life you have. 
and also catch TB yourself, like guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, that it doesn't really. It mentions in the glossary that it is infectious, but none of the characters treated like that. I mean, that's it's kind of true for the time. They were kind of stupid about it, but I don't know. That's that just seems like a really grim route to me. <laughs> it it can be pretty grim, yeah, just because. You're basically alongside him and going through your own shit, and the two of you have to more or less prop each other up and find a way through it, which is kind of sweet in a way. Just like, okay, the two of us are mortally wounded in certain ways, so let's get through it together. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, hmm. That's the other thing we should mention. Like, in basically every route here... You finally find your dad, and he's basically a villain now. He's trying to use the power of the Furies for himself to accomplish various goals. The goals change depending on the route, but he is still like, okay, I'm building an army of Furies, and I'm going to do something with them. Yeah, we'll talk about sort of overall takes once we get to the end of, of talking about roots, but um, the there are several characters who are very malleable based on the route in a way that feels a little cheap. Yeah. Especially, like, we're about to talk about Hajime, and the way that that route portrays Cosma felt completely out of character for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, speaking of which, why don't, you, why don't you do the summary? Yeah, so, Hajime Saito, the quiet captain of the Shinsengumi's 3rd Division, Saito tries to keep his emotions and opinions to himself as he takes on the more dirty jobs necessary to achieve the Shinsengumi's goals. His focus on servitude and his swordsmanship often leads him to neglecting himself. So, here's a fun thing. Uh, Jen, pull up your Steam. Okay, let me see. Goat's... And go to the Kyoto Edo Blossoms, your achievements. Okay. I am curious, if you mouse over... Okay, I guess, I guess you have to do this from... Uh, maybe this won't be as easy to do as I thought. Um, it, from the page itself, from the, like, the library page, you can see percentages. Uh-huh. As far as I can tell, Hajime is the most popular route. Um... Let me see. I might have to just look at all achievements here to get that. But, uh, oh, it doesn't show me that from there. That's Okay, um, I went ahead and clicked, yeah, I went ahead and clicked uh, Global Achievements. And yeah, um, Saito is the most popular character in the game. 40.4% of characters start, or players, start Saito's route. Interesting, okay. He also has the highest completion percentage at 32.5%. I thought he was a good character. That just kind of surprises me because I didn't think the quiet killer type was that popular. Oh, baby. It's so good, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's just like quiet and nice and you're teaching him to sort of stand up for himself. Uh, that's good. That's listen. That's good eating right there. Yeah. There's also that whole bit in the since I went back and played his um, the first half of his route again. I also got the bit where he just stops at a sword store and ends up gazing longingly about at these special swords and starts talking to you at in depth about them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you you get a great moment with him. Just like there is a part near the end of his thing where he's talking about figuring out what he should do. And he's talking about like, first of all, he's the only left handed swordsman around. Right. And he's like, no, part of part of what I did was I was like, no, like everyone would try and teach me right handed. And I would say, no, fuck you. I'm left handed. And they're like, we don't care. I'm like, I don't care that you don't care. I'm leaving. Um, and so he's very focused on his swordsmanship. And at one point he pulls out his sword and shows it to you. And you're like, damn, that's a very narrow blade. Is it specialized? He's like, no, I just sharpened it a lot, babe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's this interesting thing where he's the only samurai who wears his swords on his right side rather than his left. And uh, his story is basically overcoming all the naysayers and finding his own path through life, more or less. And uh, it's something you have to remind him of once or twice in order to push him forward. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because even historically, um, he is one of the Shinsengumi members who historically survives. Um, and he basically becomes a, a guard in, uh, in Edo. And people are just like, that Saito guy's just sick as shit. Just like, even after the Shinsengumi, they're just like, damn, he's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, there's there's multiple moments where he talks about his past and how he found his place by showing everyone his might. By, uh, like, going into the dojo that everyone else met at and kicking the loudest person's ass more or less and mm -hmm. uh it's it's interesting for him because when he's thinking about how little he might have left because of the fury power and just wondering about his future he doesn't know what he can do if he's not the strongest anymore and you more or less talk with him and convince him that he still has value despite that there's a great moment uh so one of the there um Kazuma has has two demons working with him that we'll talk about as they come up and one of them's coming up right now his name is Amagiri um and he's like I don't know if he's officially a monk but he has he's he spews a lot of of philosophy and beats people up with his hands right um and sort of a, a the deeply honorable one um and as part of part of this route, um, everybody teams up at the end to to beat uh, Kazuma, who's being a real fucking asshole. Um, and you've got um, characters we're going to talk about in a minute, Harada, Nagakura, and Heisuke, all with him. And they all work together, which I feel like is unfair to Saito. I feel like Saito should have gotten the moment to be able to beat Kazuma by himself, because other people do. And, and Saito's supposed to be a really good swordsman. But whatever. It is what it is. Um, and anyway, the duel goes down, Saito wins with help. And then Amagiri is like, you know, if you look at the character for a warrior, that this, this part here means to stop your sword. So sometimes part of being a good warrior is knowing when to stop fighting. And Nagakura goes, oh, I get it. Cause you're so strong that you've won every fight. And Harada's like, you're a fucking idiot. And Heisuke's <laughs> like. I don't get it. And Saito's like, you guys, I think he's telling me I'm allowed to retire. Heisuke <laughs> <laughs> is the most I don't get it character in this game. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> he's basically the one captain that is the same age as you, and he's naive about almost everything. 
Yeah, I mean, he's next up, so... I mean, if you if you want to just if you want to transfer, I will say I really enjoyed Saito's route. It doesn't like I don't know that it's very stand out. I just think Saito's a good boy. Yeah, I, he's also I cute. <laughs> he is very cute. I love the bit where you're just like hanging out in the snow together. <laughs> he specifically goes out into the snow not wearing enough clothing just to be like, yeah, I figured if I was just out here and you went looking for me, we could just hang out in the snow together. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's he's a bad communicator. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, Heisuke Todo, uh, the young and chipper captain of the 8th Division, Todo's bright smile hides a deep uncertainty about the Shinsengumi's methods and what the right thing to do is. He becomes a fury in every route, which complicates these feelings further, sometimes, and sometimes greatly simplifies them. <laughs> So I'm going to need you to strap in for this one to six, because this is the wildest fucking route in the game. I um, played it too, Jen. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> do you agree with me that this is the wildest route in the game? No, but... It's it's in competition. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll say... And it's only... It's only in Edo Blossoms that it's that wild. It's Kyoto part is not that weird. And even a lot of like the beginning of the Edo one is not that weird. And then shit just happens. And you're like, what the fuck? Why is this Castlevania? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Heisuke is suspicious of Sanon's motives because he's just going out at night all the time and seems to be up to things with the Fury Corps. Um, at a certain point, your friend from a different uh, demon clan, uh, Princess Sen, ends up uh, showing up and reconnecting with you. Um, eventually, like, Sen's handler um, ends up approaching you being like, Hey, have you seen Sen around? She received a letter to meet you here, and I haven't seen her. You immediately figure out that some shit is going down, and... Lo and behold, you run over to see her talking with Sanon, who suddenly... Who's Sanon, Jen? Sanon is, uh, Keisuke Sanon. <laughs> Basically, he is, he's the leader of the Fury Corps, the former, um, colonel for the group, and, uh... And we're gonna talk a lot about him. We, we, we can't go too deep with what the game does with him, which is a lot, but, uh, yeah... We're gonna have a lot to say when we get to the Sanon segment. Not, I don't know how much of it it'll even be about his route. Yeah, basically he ends up um, forcibly kissing Princess Sen and uses that to basically force her to drink his blood. And he's revealed, okay, not only am I a fury now, I'm a goddamn vampire, and I can make anyone my thrall by feeding them my blood. And I'm gonna go and just take things over. I'm gonna make my own nation, and y'all can just fuck off. And uh, <laughs> he ends up kidnapping Princess Sen. Um, and along the way, you more or less have to team up with Cosma. And uh, what's her name? I I'm blanking on Sen's... Kimigiku. Yeah, you basically team up with uh, Cosma and Kimigiku. And the four of you, together with Heisuke, end up uh, storming the castle and giving... Sanon, what for? The moment where he's like, like, first of all, he's like, yes, I could feed anyone my blood. And I've been doing it for like dozens, if not hundreds of people. And you're like, what the fuck? And then he leaves and you're like, 
okay, well, we're definitely going to have to deal with that. That's what this route's going to be. And then a letter shows up. Hishikata's like, we got this letter that says, Bwahaha, this is vampire territory now. Um, I guess Heisuke go deal with this. It's like, Hishikata, we need more people. It is, we have, half of Japan is vampire land, and you're like, Heisuke go deal with it? <laughs> to be fair, the Shitsungumi at this point are on the back foot because everything has happened with the castle battle that they ended up losing and all that. But I mean, back foot is generous. They're missing a foot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Their leader's been captured. Everything's going bad. And uh, yeah, this this is maybe Cosma at his most enjoyable because he ends up coming alongside y'all and pops in and out as a collaborator more or less and he gets into what uh chisaru calls a frenemy relationship with heisuke where the two of them are just constantly bickering together at some point you just find this incredibly funny and heisuke realizes that it's funny too and kazuma just glares at the two of you while you're laughing at him <laughs> yeah he's just like and he, his line is so good. This gives you a great sense of how he talks in general. But the line is uh, paraphrased, but pretty close. Like, I am done with this conversation. I am going to leave. Choke on your laughter and die. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, like, Sonon has his villainous moments here and there throughout the various, throughout the game, but... This is the point where it just straight up turns into, as you said, Castlevania. He becomes Vlad Tepes II and basically declares war on humanity. But uh, It's pretty wild. It's a very... It's so... It probably is the most extra one. Um, I feel like once you accept this, it's fairly straightforward, which is why I'm not sure if it's the craziest one. But, like... I, I did... The thing is, though, I do kind of have beef, but it's larger beef, which is... But I think this is the moment to say it, right? Um, It's a problem I had last time, and I, I don't mean to poke fun at Jen. Jen hadn't played Otome games before when she said this. It was a very, <laughs> very nice, earnest wish uh -oh. that in our, our last episode four years ago, she... First of all, she pointed out the scene... There's a quick scene in Kyoto Winds where the actual chief of the scene, Sengumi Toto, uh, can teach you how to use a sword. Um, it doesn't ever make any real difference, I will tell you. There's, there's, doesn't matter. Um, but what, like, what happens basically is Jen, Jen is like, okay, hope, like, you don't really get to do anything with this. Hopefully, in Edo Blossoms, we are going to see. Chizuru be more capable and have some fights of her own. We absolutely do not. And not only that, the one like female character we've seen have power here, Princess Sen, is like completely victimized here. And it's just Hakuoki, I, I like Hakuoki. I really do. But it is leaning hard into one of the Pikotome game sins of being an unable to envision women as anything. But like, you know, like damsels in distress or victims. And I guess a damsel in distress is a type of victim anyway. Yeah, like there's even a route in a little bit where you're about to finally, um, you're about to finally take care of 
Kodo, your father, and then suddenly, as you're about to swing and do the killing blow, Cosma comes out of nowhere, does it in settings, like, well, you're gonna thank me for this later. Anyway, peace. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very frustrating. Um, but... It's a it's a really interesting route. It's really wild to see like yeah, what what they do with Sanon here is very strange. Yeah. And like they do, I forget which route, but there is a route where at the end of it they straight up say, "Oh yeah, when we talked about this blood coming from the east, it was just straight up vampires. They call these eastern um demons vampires." So the western. Yes. Yes, these western demons vampires Mm -hmm. yeah no they're they're straightforward about that um let's let's just let's just move on okay yeah (laughs) we're gonna talk about sanasusuke harada next an old-fashioned romantic the 10th division captain is the most loyal womanizer you'll ever meet a kind flirt, his light-hearted nature belies a level-headed decision-making that eventually leads him to leave the Shinsengumi. So Harada is, uh, so far, let's see, of the routes we've talked about, every one of them has been in the base game so far. Uh, Harada is one that people were very surprised was not in the base game because he is one of the core characters of the Shinsengumi, but he didn't have a root. Um, so in the remake, they added this one. Um, and it kind of, sh- like, it's interesting, like... A lot of these roots, I would not have guessed the ones that were remakes were. Some of them, it's obvious, right? Like characters like, we're going to talk about a Ryoma Sakamoto in a bit. And it's like, yeah, this character is just not in this story otherwise. Obviously, this is a remake character. Um, Harada's story doesn't feel like that, mostly. Um, I will say, he is one of the characters who doesn't become a fury. Um, huh. And it's kind of interesting because even his his friend Nagakura, who is obsessed with how much being a fury sucks and he will never drink it, he becomes a fury. But I think maybe he wouldn't if, well, it's hard to say. But um, basically this route ends up being kind of like a, a, a very, a classic romance in two ways. It's a weird love triangle um, and not in the way you think because... Harada is in love with with Chizuru, and Chizuru's in love with Harada, and it's just very sweet, right? Mm-hmm. And he's very affectionate. He's very thoughtful. He is always there to ask you, like, to, to kindly ask you, like, hey, it seems like you're worried about something. Can we talk about it? And he's always looking out for you. And the main worry you have is just that he's very popular, and you're always worried, like, I mean, he's not serious about this. And he is. Um, there's a point where later on, like fairly late in the route, you end up uh, meeting up with a character named Ibu- uh, Ibuki Ryunosuke, who is um, a character from one of the prequels they've made that got worked into this remake. Um, and he's there with his wife um, and his wife's like, oh, that guy's a shameless flirt. I, you know, I'm, you're probably not serious about this, right, Harada? And he's like, no, I'm extremely serious. I'm never dating. In- this is it. I uh, hope this war ends so we can get married. And it's like, oh, okay, wow. Um, in fact, this is one of the few routes where there is a explicit, like, it's not, like, not gratuitous, but there is a sex scene. Yeah. Um, I think there's one other one that has a sex scene, but we'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is more than one more, but we'll, we will get to that anyway. Um, and... 
it is uh, the I I still have avoided talking about the other part of the love triangle because there is a third demon in Cosma's Cosma's gang uh, named uh, Shiranui, who is a like rough and tumble like dude with a revolver. Yeah, right? and like. For the majority of these routes, you don't even see him. <laughs> like he's very much mm-hmm. the—he's very much the one of the trio that barely shows up. Yeah, he has a few moments, but mostly he does not. Um, and he has a big rivalry with Harada, right? Where they are like fighting all the time, even in the normal game, even before this route. Like when when multiple demons show up, Harada takes on Shiranui. Um, and in this route, what becomes clear is. He has a huge crush on Harada, and Harada has no clue. Harada is tragically straight. <laughs> you do get an element of that in Cosma's uh, story in terms of, like, <laughs> the gunslinger comes up and talks to you and is like, damn, he's the most amazing warrior I've ever seen. I even kept a spear. Do you want it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's just a lot of, like, like... Shiranui, like, keeps being, like, man, you're such a great warrior. I'd love to fight alongside you and do more stuff. And Harada's like, well, I don't want to do that. He's like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's kind of, it's kind of tragic. You you feel a bit for Shiranui, who comes across, like, he talks a lot about his deal, which is basically, like, he doesn't want to have anything to do with humans, but he keeps getting crushes on them. He t- talks a lot about another dude who was working with the uh, um, Satsuma, I think. Oh, who he was. That explains yeah. a lot about why he's just constantly hanging out with Satsuma. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's another dude who he got, who he got a crush on, and then tragically died. And he talks a lot about what an idiot this guy was to die, and he had his whole life ahead of him, and maybe there could have been someone else in his life. Um, I feel really bad for Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> God love it. Uh, God love a gay cowboy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So two final notes for this one. One, uh, the final chapter is you have a baby, because it really is all in on just the the, the romance here. Um, that's the um, and then oh, the wow. other thing is the other thing is I showed you this, but th- whoever wrote the achievements for this game is a criminal. They're all just like. <laughs> ruthlessly bad puns that are often very disrespectful to the characters to the point that when you beat the root for Harada, this dude with the long red haired ponytail, the achievement that pops up over his smiling face is does the carpet match the drapes? And I'm like, you cannot. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) You cannot have a fucking achievement about his pubic hair. I can't do this. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think any of the other achievements go that hard. Like, most of them no. are just like, Haha, isn't it funny that this guy has tuberculosis? <laughs> yeah, that, is, that is one of the other. That's like either it's a bad pun, it's like bizarrely mean, or it's intensely horny. <laughs> Those are the ones they've got. <laughs> <sighs> All right, well, that takes us to Shinpachi Nagakura, um, who is, by the way, I will say that um, Harada, Toto, and Nagakura are all really good friends, and so they play a lot in each other's roots. Um, they have a lot of content. Yeah. But 
Uh, the second division captain is a big muscle dumbass. He likes fighting, he likes drinking, he likes taking care of people close to him, and boy, does he dislike thinking. Um, so this route is about big muscle hot boy not think so good, um, and also treats you like his little sister for most of it. Yeah, you showed me the screenshot where he's like, oh, geez, Rui, you're like my sister, and... I- I can immediately just go in my head. Oh, this 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 is not working out as a romantic relationship, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, um, and also so he um he is the most like vocal like the the water of life is bullshit, right? But of course he does get turned into a fury, and so he's very what he's he's very caught up in the tragedy of his own story and eventually you really have to work him out of it but he's like i don't like being a fury it's bullshit that i have to be and now everyone's treating me like crap though really people treat him like crap right like um one of the things that comes to a boiling point very often is in edo blossoms uh so Isami Kondo, who is the chief of the Shinsengumi, was sort of the head of the sword school that they all went to, and then it became the Shinsengumi, and he was in charge. And for a lot of them, it's like, we're going to work, because we're working for Kondo-san, and that's all right, and he's going to be a big lord someday, right? Um, And he gets to be a lord very briefly, because uh, the the shogunate appoints him as a daimyo, as a lord, um, at a point where it kind of doesn't matter. It's like if a king like makes you account as his head's about to be chopped off. Yeah. Right? And like... he's he's very specifically doing it also so that he can get the Shinsengumi out of the way so that they he can negotiate surrender with the invading force. So Yeah. Yeah. It, it's all a big diversion and many of the the captains can recognize that. Yeah, but and the and so the the speech that the brief speech that Kondo gives when he's like, hey, I'm a daimyo now, and listen, everything's going to go great for us, um, kind of goes different ways in different routes. Very often it goes quite poorly. Um, there are some routes where it's like, um, it actually kind of patches things together very briefly because the men are like, hell yeah, we're working for a daimyo now. This is exciting. And so all the captains are like, well, it's good to see the men excited, I guess, um, even if we know this is stupid. But... It's also very often a breaking point for uh, Nagakura and Harada, especially Nagakura, who's like, wait, 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 wait. First of all, you haven't even been on the front lines most of the time. You've just been sitting back, which like, that's fine. That's how this deal works. But now you're like, hey, I'm a lord. And if you do well, I'll let you be my servant. Eat shit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Something the game gets into in both halves is that there are people who joined the Shinsengumi for various reasons, and if one of the reasons ends up disappearing or changing in a certain way, it makes sense that some people are just going to be like, alright, peace out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and with Nagakura it's even worse, because I believe his is the only route where he becomes a fury. Um, and so, he's a fury, and the conversation with with uh, Kondo goes so badly because he's like, Kondo, what the fuck, man? Why are you treating us like this? And he's and and Kondo, like, without saying it, is basically like, wait, you're a fury. Why are you voicing an opinion? And he's like, the fuck? I'm out of here. Um, Kondo looks really bad in Nagakura's route. Yeah, Kondo's a 
interesting character. <laughs> he's 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 a character who everyone really rallied behind at the beginning because he had all these ideals that they connected with, but uh there's various points throughout the second game where he's just left moping around reading books and realizing that things aren't going his way. He's kind of a fair weather guy. He's a fair weather leader is what it turns out, right? Mm-hmm. When shit gets rough, he's not good at his job, and he's kind of a bad person at that point. Um, there are some good stuff, but, you know. Yeah, and that's kind of why Hichikata is, like, the unofficial leader of the group, because mm-hmm. he's the one who always ends up pushing shit through when Kondo's just moping in the corner or otherwise indisposed. Yeah. Um, and so you leave um, with uh, Nagakura... And the two of you are, like, trying to help out various places, but Nagakura kind of leans way too hard on his fury powers. He's like, well, shit, I hate having these, but if I'm going to have them, mine will go well go all the way, because, like, every bullet that hits me is a bullet not hitting someone it's going to kill. Um, And then he learns about the burning your life thing, and he's like, ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's there's several characters who basically go through that same arc of like, oh, I'm just Superman now. And one of the demons comes up to him and he's like, well, no, you're kind of fucking yourself over. And they're just like, ah. The other thing is uh, Nagakura starts going into like a battle rage when he pulls on his fury powers where he stops being able to tell friend from foe. And so one of these times this happens and you manage to barely get him to snap out of it. And then, like, stepping out of the shadows is Amagiri, and he's like, Hey, uh, I would love to help you. You seem like you're having some trouble. If you ever turn into Fury again, I'm going to snap your neck. This is not okay. Um, and so Nagakura goes to pout in the woods for a couple of days. <laughs> like a fucking child. Amagiri, um, in all of these routes, is, like, the one sensible demon who <laughs> will, like, step in to clean shit up or, like, step in to get you away from the clearly misbehaving demons around him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you, uh... <sighs> You're like, okay, we have to go take care of uh, my dad, because now my dad is, uh, uh, very often there's a thread where your dad is like, and now I'm going to create more, even more capable Furies, and we're going to take over Japan, or we're going to help someone else take over Japan, and you're like, well, that's not okay. Um, And so you take care of Nagakura in the woods while he's pouting, and you start practicing the sword on your own, because you're like, listen, at some point Nagakura is going to snap out of this, but... Even regardless, I need to be able to do pull my weight here. Um, I need to go and take out my dad. Um, and so Nagakura snaps out of it after you yell at him some more. And he's like, okay, listen, I'm going to teach you the sword too. And you have a little training session, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go to confront your dad. And even despite all that, even despite there being like a dialogue choice where it's like, Nagakura, I'm leaving my dad to you. Or... I'll take care of him. You still don't get to fucking kill him. Uh, it's a Cosmo again that just kind of pops up out of nowhere and goes, well, it's my kill. No, no, this one's the, like, this one's the poetic monster movie one, right? Where he gets a cut and then all the Furies are like, blood, and he's like, no, I command you, and they kill him. <laughs> okay. 
um so yeah and then uh you're like you're like so nagakura you didn't really mean that sister shit right and he's like yeah i didn't mean that sister shit <laughs> happy ending okay um i think this route is pretty fucking light <laughs> yeah kind of sounds like they just ended up resolving things at the very end it's like okay yeah very much a route that's kind of there mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it's fine it's fun enough um but I feel like mostly the interesting part is the beginning when he's sorting out his feelings about being a fury and then he decides his feeling is he wants to pout. Um, and that's not as fun. <laughs> it is, it is very funny playing it. Like after seeing things go so many different ways with your father and seeing him like genuinely get the zombie movie ending is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The father always dies at the end. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. All right, on to the next one. All right. So now we're talking about Keisuke Sanan Yamanami. Originally vice commander of the Shinsengumi, Sanan becomes a fury very early in the game, and the already darkly practical man becomes increasingly unstable. While smart and capable of deeply rational thought, his condition decays his judgment and his power goes to his head. So, so, first of all, we're, just a quick, like, terminology thing. His name is technically Keisuke Yamanami. That's just historically. Everyone calls him Sanan. I'm not sure why. I'm sure there's a reason. We're just going to call him Sanan. Yep. <laughs> so, by the end of the first game, you were more or less telling Sanan, okay, I'll allow you to use my demon blood for your experiments. And uh, that's kind of... The kibosh is put in that because they start suspecting Sanan of doing the nighttime killings. And even after it's proven that he was not doing them, is like, okay, we're going to need to put the Fury Core on ice because we cannot afford any more of this. And uh, you're also forbidden from experimenting further on blood. And uh, Sanan ends up going on a secret mission and disappears from the Shinsengumi for months, leading Chizuru to like, tender her resignation to the Shinsengumi, and head stays in Edo as the rest of the group goes off to Aizu. Sen kind of catches up with you to be like, okay, why are you still here? And you tell her that you're looking for Sanon. Eventually, you, Sen, and Kimikiku end up heading out into the forest, and while separated from the other two, you run into Sanon again, and he ends up leading you right to your father who talks about how Sanon is secretly working for him and uh, brought you all this way. Suddenly, Heisuke appears out of nowhere and decides, hey, I'm going to save you, Chizuru. But Sanon cuts down Heisuke rather easily. But uh, you basically get dragged to this castle that Kodo's using for his experiments. And he talks about how he's... He has to get your approval for this first, but he is planning on keeping you tied up and just letting blood from you every day so that he can feed everyone the water of life. And the brother's in on it too. Um, you end up occasionally talking with Sanon in his room, asking him why he's doing all this, and he gives this heart-to-heart -heart about how the Furies have no future, and he basically agreed to all of this so that he could 
like find a way to cure all of his men because he feels responsible for getting them into this in the first place. And that will necessarily mean working with Kodo, even though he doesn't like Kodo's ideas. Suddenly, it turns out that Princess Sen has been kidnapped along with Kimikiku and brought to the castle as well. And your father more or less uses them to get to you. He threatens to kill them until you... Until you're like, okay, you could use me for ex experiments and stuff. And it's at that point that Sanan does the little wink and reveals that he's been setting this up the whole time. He ends up fighting Kodo and freeing Sen and Kimigiku. And together, your whole group ends up uh, taking down Kodo. Even Heisuke ends up appearing again because, surprise, the killing of Heisuke turned out to just be a show so that Kodo would believe that Sanan was on his side. And, uh, yeah, Kodo is actually murdered by your brother. Um, and then he decides, okay, you're still happy though, Chizuru. I'm not gonna let you stay happy. And that is enough to basically cause Heisuke and Sanan to strike down your brother as he attempts to kill you as well. And it basically ends with Sanan basically being like, okay, I'm going to find a cure for all of this. And we're not going back to the Shinsengumi, but we're just going to go off on our own thing and figure things out. Yeah, a thing with your brother from <clears throat> a, a lot, some roots in the first game is that he, uh, your brother, like, when your village was, your demon village was burned down when you were young, um, you got taken away by Kodo to be raised as his kid. Um, but, uh, your brother, uh, Kaoru ends up like getting like taken in by another demon clan who are taking him in because they're like, they, they extend the invitation to you because demon women are valuable. And they're like, we'd love to have a demon woman. That'd be nice. Um, and then they get Kaoru instead and they're really pissed. And so they just abuse him for years. Um, and because of that, he has, depending on the route, different complexes about it. So often it's like, well, I can't believe this happened to me and Chuzuru is just happy. I'm going to make Chuzuru unhappy at any cost. Sometimes it's like, no, listen, don't you understand, little sister? I did everything for you. I'll do anything for you. It's always with some weird complex, you mm -hmm. know, whatever. Um, Sometimes it's both. Yeah, sure. Um, Sanan, it sounds like Sanan's roots represents what Sanan in this, is, is in this game, which is just fucking whatever a specific root needs him to be. There is, okay, he is creepy. He is calm. He likes violence. He likes logistics. Anything else about him is mutable. To be fair, like the way that he does this secret turncoat slash helping to Shinsengumi all along, like that happens in multiple routes as well. Like it does happen in sure. Hijikata's route, but... That it does get to our larger problem with the game, which is that characters will just suddenly do some wild shit they would never do in another route, not because of the choices you've made, but because it just has to fit the route. I feel like Sanon is the biggest example of this, right? Like, so, okay, as you mentioned, uh, Hijikata's route, turns out he's, he's, a, he's a spy, he's a good guy, right? 
Uh, Saito's route, uh, he sells everyone out and gets Kondo and other people killed. Um, in fucking uh, Ryoma Sakamoto's route, which we're going to get to in a minute, he, like, he leaves the Shinsengumi and is he's not doing a spy thing. He's just straight up like, no, I'm a hero. I'm here to stop the water of life and the curse it is on all of the human race. And you're like, okay, sure. Whatever you say. Um, in Harada's route, he uh, is like trying to guilt trip Chizuru into helping the Furies and of course goes crazy at a certain point. Um, in, yeah, Soma's route, he's a super or not Soma's route in Heisuke's route he's like a super villain and Count Dracula it's just like any route he's anything I will say one thing that does bother me right is in Harada's route he is basically doing the thing of like listen your blood could help us maybe uh so why don't you give us some so we can do some experiments and Chizuru and the game presents Chizuru is right here is like can you guarantee it will work then I won't help you it's like what the fuck, Chizuru? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's just a moment of just like, that doesn't, she is super, like she has this ridiculous healing factor. She's super willing to give blood to everyone else. But when Sanan's like, maybe I could cure this problem. She's suddenly like, well, wait, I don't want to cure it. Like, what the fuck? Um, but yeah, just overall Sanan's characterization is like, I feel like we have these core notes of his personality and then like it just spins in wildly different directions based on root and not based on choices. Yeah. It's in a way a shame. that's really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Um I will also shout outs to uh a friend of ours, Scanline Media co-host and and site operator uh jennifer's girlfriend kyrie page who when presented with a lineup was like well clearly i need to go with sanan rip sweetie <laughs> you picked the wrong like there was one legitimately wrong choice and you found it <laughs> well to be fair his individual route is pretty sweet but yeah i mean sure i love the part where he leaves you chained up in a castle for days <laughs> <laughs> It's so romantic. Fair point. <laughs> well, I, let's talk about uh, a character I didn't get to see much of, uh, Susumu Yamazaki. The son of a doctor, Yamazaki uses both medical knowledge and espionage know-how in The Watch, the Shinsengumi's small spy division, earnest, steadfast, and in most routes, dead by the end of the first game. Yeah. <laughs> like Six says, usually dead by the end of the first game. He's basically a ninja slash medic, and when you talk with him, he's often, at least in the first half, he's often talking about how, after all this, he wants to start helping people more. He's, he usually comes in clutch when people need him to help with some medical thing, but uh, his life has been a lot different ever since he drank the water of life. He is basically escorting Hijikata to and from meetings in the evening, um, leaving Chizuru to do most of the page duties. Um, and he essentially, as the water of life progresses with him, he just starts going sicko mode on people and, uh, 
there's even a point where he almost turns on you because of your whole blood thing. And, uh, I, just because you're around him when he's killing all the people. And once again, Amagiri steps up to be like, hey, buddy, just so you know, you're killing yourself every time you do this. And Sort thy shit out. <laughs> he even does this thing where it's like, okay, turn fury for a moment, and if you th- if you defeat me in your fury powers, then you can keep on using them. I don't care. But Amagiri just kicks his ass immediately. He's like, yeah, that's what I thought. Stop using them. <laughs> <laughs> and essentially... He's basically, anytime he sees enemies, like, he's one He's one of the people who actually gets pretty hard up on Fury disease, where he'll just start slashing bodies after they're already dead and just making short work of them. And, uh, to the point where he starts avoiding, I where he starts prioritizing the bodies over, like, helping the live people. And after you kind of just... Talk to him about, like, no, remember your roots. You want to help people. Stop it. Um, he ends up uh, going on a rescue mission to save Kondo. And uh, Kodo, it turns out, has set up Kondo's specific location and made it very obvious so that he could lure the two of you in. But uh, Okita just springs up out of nowhere and more or less uses the last of his life to... Hold off Kondo while you escape. Um, this Wait, is one Kondo? Like Isami Kondo? Oh, um, sorry. Um, let me backtrack. I was, uh, I mixed up my words there. I was saying you go and you tr- go and try and save Kondo with Yamazaki, but uh, turns out that th- that's a trap by Kodo. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah, and then Okito, I Okita ends up fighting Kodo. And ends up dying, and Kondo still gets executed. And, uh... Also, this... We should mention the bits where you're always giving your various fairy boys blood, because this is one of the only routes I played where... The fury has more than one pose for, like, drinking your blood. Like, more than one CG. Mm. At a certain point, he... Yamasaki's one of the ones who gets really into drinking your blood, and, uh, like, by the last time, by the last scene you're doing it, he's like, no, I have a different idea. Instead of, instead of you cutting yourself, let's try this. And he basically gets you to bite your inner lip until it starts bleeding, and the two of you just share a kiss where he's eagerly lapping up the blood in your mouth. Man, I thought I wanted to do this boy, and now he's a weird kinkster. I don't want this. <laughs> anyway, Yamazaki is the route where you more or less get into a life or death battle with uh, Kodo, and you're about to kill your dad, and then Kazuma just appears out of nowhere, beheads him, and is like, Look, you don't want to kill your dad. That's going to fuck you up forever. I did you a favor. See you later. <laughs> and... <laughs> Both, ya- both Yabazaki and Chizuru end up tendering their resignations to the Shinsengumi. And together you move back into your father's home and open up a medical clinic. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, so Yamazaki gets to spend the rest of his time, like, uh, however long it may be because of the Fury disease, uh, helping people out and healing people. What he always wanted to do. 
Yeah, he came across as a very nice boy in uh, in game one. You don't get to see very much of him in most routes. Um, yeah, it's a shame that apparently he turns into a complete creep for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much like um, uh, much like Hajime Saito, like you discussed, he's kind of a person who takes a lot of lives, but he is very sweet on the inside. Hmm. Okay. It was also neat to realize, like, so, so far, everyone we've mentioned is a real historical figure, except for, of course, you know, Kazuma's not real. I need to <laughs> break it to you. He's just no, the demons aren't, it's not. Um, but everybody else in this game is based on a real character. Um, and I thought that wasn't going to be the case for, for Yamazaki because he's a fucking ninja. But it's like, no, they had ninjas. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's also one of the few members that doesn't get the fancy Western outfit uh, change when that change happens because he's like, no, dude, I'm a ninja. I, I need this ninja garb. Let me do my thing. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, like, you know, the, the Western outfits look pretty good on people, but, you know. Yeah. Yes, they do. <laughs> the it's great because you know, for anyone who's not familiar, it is like this is a thing that actually happened, right? Is they changed the Shinsengumi changed uh, uniforms late into the war to be more Western style. But when they say Western style, they mean like they are like jackets and pants, but they are adorned with a lot of very Japanese ornamentation and they just look really sick. <laughs> yeah. And basically in almost every route, you have that scene where they change and um, Chizuru just stares at them for a bit, being at a loss for words. Yep. And uh, next up, we have Kazue Soma, a naive and clueless samurai who throws away his title to join the Shinsengumi as a page. Soma approaches everything with an honest heart and a sense of duty and responsibility, even as he's playing catch up to the rest of the cast in both maturity and skill. So Soma is a character who I don't know if he's supposed to be younger than you or not. It certainly feels like it. Um, He's also just kind of a like he's not an idiot in like that. He's not smart sense. He's the sort of oblivious sort, right? Um, like one of, one of the scenes, I'm sure you managed to get it cause you don't have to be on his route to get it, but there's a scene where, where, um, the initial introduction is he gets like held by the Shinsengumi because he has, uh, art someone drew of a fury and, and they're like, mm, this can't get out there. And he's like, what? I didn't do anything wrong. Fuck off. Let me out. Fuck off. Um, and finally in the end, everything goes a little better than that. Um, but as he's about to leave, he's like, hey, are you, uh, are you, uh, Shinsegumi? Um, and you can either be like, no, or you can be like, I'm a page. And if you say I'm a page, he's like, oh, you're not a warrior. And then he like starts feeling you up. And he's like, yeah, I guess you don't have a lot of muscle. And you're like, dude, you're feeling up a lady. Um, cause he of course has no idea cause you're in disguise. And that kind of is very like, he is trying to do the right thing all the time. He is a little clueless and he is not that skilled. Um, yeah, I, I guess I got him confused with someone else because my introduction to him, or at least I thought was his introduction, and Kyoto wins was him basically coming on board as like one of your page assistants as you're teaching him the ropes of how to pour tea and whatever. That's him. Um, you like depending on how things go, you can meet him earlier than that. 
Um, oh, maybe okay. you just didn't happen to do that. But yeah, he is. He does. He becomes another one of the pages. Um, and you are teaching him all this stuff. Um, and there's a bunch of very comedic him, like clearly not reading the signs of stuff. Like there is a scene in his route where, um, so there's a character who has not come up, um, otherwise whose name is Saburu Miki, who is, um, a blue haired dude, little angry blue haired dude. Who's part of the Shinsengumi. Um, his brother, um, is a guy named Ito who is sort of high up and ends up um, basically betraying the Shinsengumi and they have to kill him. Um, but he is sort of the antagonist of this route because, um, first of all, he is constantly hassling you because he's like, why the fuck do we have this dude around who doesn't do anything? And he starts to suspect you're a lady and uh, Soma starts, like, in numerous scenarios is, like, adamantly defending your mascul- masculinity. Um... <laughs> Oh, which is funny and awkward because and it's like it's like they should just have it right there shouldn't be any question where it's like like Sabur- like Miki is like why is it that you always wear as much clothing as possible and you refuse to bathe with anyone else and someone's like because he's such a man and you're like so much shut the fuck up <laughs> not helping um and eventually he finds out about you and the Furies and everything. Um, and he's like, gosh, I'm just, you were keeping this secret from me. And that just makes me love the Shinsengumi even more. What an honorable organization. Just doing whatever it takes. Um, <laughs> and so his his route through the first game, um, he ends up turning uh, Fury to defend you from Kazuma. And he can't. Uh, Kazuma, like, or no, actually... It's from Miki, my bad. Um, so Miki, uh, after his brother gets killed by the Shinsengumi, because he was plotting to kill them, um, he swears revenge. He is the one who shoots Kondo, because in the first game there's an event where Kondo gets shot by someone from from the brush um, and is laid up for a while. That's Miki. Miki's the one who shoots him. Uh, Miki oh. has sworn revenge on all the Shinsengumi. Um, and then when you're on your way to Edo and you're running from... Um, from the uh, Imperial forces, um, he corners you with a bunch of dudes and like, uh, he like you, uh, he discovers the water of life in your bags, but he doesn't know what it is. And he's like, Oh, so this is like a terrible poison. Ha ha. Kill yourselves with poison. And you're like, yep, you got us. This is poison. Um, and you pretend to drink it and then play dead. Right. Um, (laughs) And uh, he's like, ha Soma, your turn. You drink the poison. And Soma isn't capable of pretending, so he just drinks it. Um, and he's like, all right, I'm a fury now. And he fights off the dudes. He still fucking loses to Miki because he's so bad, but he gets scared off. Like, even fury versus not a main character, he loses the fight. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Um, and so heading into Edo Blossoms, he's like, I need to get stronger. Spoilers, he fucking doesn't. He does not get stronger. Um, and his route is really a bummer because it is just like tragedy tourism of you just going places and watching members of the Shinsengumi die pointlessly. Um, because, yeah, uh, also Miki becomes a fury. He gets made a fury by your dad. So now it's like fury versus fury, but obviously he's way better at it than you. Um and let's see. So first of all, um, you and him get caught up with uh, with Kondo, 
um, you get captured alongside him. Uh, so Soma isn't with you. Um, and so you get hauled off to jail and you get to see a uh, first person Kondo actually doing his whole, like, listen, I'm a, I'm a, like a samurai of, of the, you know, appointed by the emperor and, you know, doing his whole noble thing. His act is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Soma comes to break you out and he breaks you and, uh, one other page out, Nomura. And then he goes to get Kondo and Kondo's like, guys, they figured out who I am. I can't leave. They, they've got the number on this one. And if I leave, it's going to be worse. And so he gives you his sword and he says, get this to Hijikata and tell him, you know, this is like, this is me passing the torch. This is, he's the leader of the Shinsengumi now. And he goes out like a champ. Um, and so then you're, you and Soma are like, okay, we have to get this sword to Hijikata and you're trapped in Edo and you try and get out and, uh, you you can't, and you run into Harada. Harada's like, all right, well, listen, you got to get out of here. I will distract the guards, and you can get out. And you're like, well, that's a bad idea. And he's, why don't you escape with us? And he's like, well, you caught me. Uh, I was fighting earlier, and they got me real good. I'm going to die anyway. And you're like, oh. Aw. Fuck. All right, well, bye, Harada. He's like, bye. And you run out, and then you run into more troops, and Okita shows up, and he starts fucking them up, and he's like, hey, I'm in the middle of dying from tuberculosis, but I can buy you a few minutes. Get out of here. And you leave. And then you almost catch up with the Shinsengumi, and you're like, shit, they've already left. Uh, and someone's like, oh, by the way, Sana and Heisuke died. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> Oh, so that is one of the other routes where just everyone fucking dies then. Okay. Well, yeah. And then um, the other page, Nomura, um, like you make it to Ezo, to the island kingdom, right? And the, uh, Soma and Nomura lead, a, lead an attack on the Imperial fleet and it goes really badly and Nomura has a heroic death um, and Soma comes back and he's like, well, shit, we still haven't gotten the sword to fucking Hijikata. Um, oh, wait, no, actually, at that point, you have brought the sword to Hijikata, and he's like, why don't you hold on to it for now? And you're like, huh. okay, whatever. Um, and then you're like, well, shit, all that's, the, like, the only member of the Shinsengumi really left is, is Hijikata. Uh, we need to go find Hijikata. And you find Hijikata, and he is, like, just pouring blood. Some of it's his, some of it is not. Hard to tell what's what. Um, and he's like, shit. Uh, come here. Uh, and he's like, hang on, let me wipe the blood off myself with this Shinsengumi flag. And you're like, okay. And he <laughs> drops down by a tree and he hands you the bloody flag and he's like, keep that sword. You're the Shinsengumi chief now. Carry on our spirit. And then he dies. Is he giving and the sword to Soma? Yes. Okay. Because historically, Soma was the last chief of the Shinsengumi. Yeah. Um, and that also happens at Cosmos route. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, and so then you assemble with, um, the, what's his name? Um, Otori, the, like the kid who was in charge of the, the military, um, uh-huh. and also Enomoto, who's the president. And they're like, I guess we got to surrender now. Um, someone's going to surrender on behalf of the Shinsengumi and someone's like, I'll do it. That's fine. And they're like, they're like, dude, it's not going to be good. And he's like, eh, what are you going to do? Let me just have a quick sex scene with Chizuru and then I'll go do it. <laughs> uh, and then he gets thrown in a, a island prison and then you get, you know, you cut to the, the ending cinematic and then his final chapter 
and uh, it's been three years, and he gets released from prison, and he's like, you know, like, I'm back, and you're like, yay, and that's Soma's <laughs> route. Yeah. Oh, also, you don't kill Miki. Um, Miki finally shows up like after Hijikata has bled to death, right? Um, and he's like, "Well, fuck! All the fucking Shinsugumi are dead. Who am I supposed to get revenge on?" And he's like, "Well, let's let's duel. Let's settle this." And Soma's like, "Nah, dude, you just want me to kill you because you don't know what else to do. Fuck that!" And Miki's like, "Ah, you caught me. All right, I guess I'll go get lost." <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird route. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> um, I feel like I, I, <laughs> I, I felt a little weird, just like both how he's drawn and voiced, and also just the way he behaves. It makes you feel a little bit like a cradle robber. I didn't love that feeling, so I'm not super hot on Soma's route, even though it's interesting. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I, <laughs> I'm, I was kind of surprised he even had a route because I just saw him next to, I saw him next to Nomura and I was just like, okay, I guess he's just. Uh, so these are kids. Yeah, yeah, th these are the kids that you're babysitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're about to discuss uh, the character route for Hachiro Iba, who is the uh, character who has a content warning attached because at a point in the route there is attempted sexual assault. Um, if uh, it is it is sort of a, a central point, we can't really go without discussing it. If you don't want to hear that, uh, you can skip to the timestamp of one fifty eight thirty seven. Um. And uh, you won't really have missed anything. You'll have missed that route, but that route is not essential to any other route or understanding the game overall. Um, all right, well, time for time for something I've been waiting for. It's Hachiro Iba, a samurai from the main character's hometown and an old friend of Hijikata's. This kind and polite man is here to play the role of secret Osananajimi, which is a childhood friend. And all the routes where he gets screen time, it's clear he has a crush on the MC, but in his route, I guess there's some shit where he gets a demon arm? <laughs> okay, so first I want to know, did you go back and play Hachiro Iba? Nope. Okay, I'm going to have some shit that I'm going to reveal to you that is going to be interesting, both in terms of gender and also just like... <laughs> in terms of gender? Oh boy. This might also be the only route with straight up assault in it. Um, So basically... Just for context of what happened in the first half, um, essentially, do you remember the purple-haired guy with a little bit of temper, um, Takeda? Yeah, yeah. With yeah. uh, he's I forget like his I forget who his voice actor is, but it's like oh, this is like a, a, a like a, a recurring like sinister character actor. Yeah, right. It, it, it's Takahito Koyasu, aka Dio Brando from JoJo's. Um, That's yes, yes. It's like you hear him and you're like, okay, so you're not nice. <laughs> Yeah, and meanwhile, Hachiro Iba is voiced by Mamoru Miyano, who is kind of, he's also a personal favorite of mine, just because he is in a lot of really out-there roles. He's the yelling manager in Zombieland Saga. Um, oh, that guy's great, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, basically, the two of them end up having a life-or-death rivalry that um, one thing leads to another, and both of them end up fusing the buried arms of the specific demon onto them. And uh, after that happens, Princess Sen ends up meeting with Iba's like, okay, since you've done this, 
there's going to be consequences. Like, you can keep the arm to fight Takeda, but you are not allowed to interfere in history at all. You cannot... You cannot participate in human affairs or human battles or anything like that. And uh, oh, he's, Sorry, he's the main character of Gundam 00. I didn't recognize it. Uh, his performance here is different enough that I didn't recognize it. Also, yeah. he's in. Uh, he's a important character in the currently airing Dragon Ball movie. Yeah, I'd say his role is a lot more subdued here. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Basically, um, after a while... Well, Hachiriba basically disappears to perform his day job which is basically working with um he's basically pretty high up the shogunate um pole in terms of like his responsibilities so he kind of leaves for a while to do that he ends up uh meeting you again um just visiting the shinsengumi and this childhood friend, you basically go together to look through your father's stuff to see if there's any research you're missing. And suddenly he pins you to the wall. And uh, both of you are kind of shocked by this af after the fact. Like, he doesn't know what got into him. You're like, wait, what the hell was that? And um, after, um, after Hijikata is like, okay, we have to go take care of this castle raid. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Which is a funny way of teaming it, like it's a open world video video game. But uh... no, it sounds like an MMO, Jen. It's like, <laughs> all right, all right, we got okay, we got two tanks. Okay, but yeah, he basically leaves you in. He basically leaves you in Eba's care, basically being like, okay, you're not going to be of any use in the upcoming battles, so it's better if we just keep you next to Eba because he's pretty talented. And you head over there, and it turns out Iba's a rich kid. Like, he has his own mansion and everything um, from his family. <laughs> and, uh, essentially, one thing leads to another, and once again, he is fighting against Takeda. And Takeda has some reveals for you. First uh -huh. off, he's like, okay, I've been drinking the blood of every soldier I meet, friend and foe, and that means I'm just super fucking powerful now. I've just been feeding the Steven arm. Okay. B, <laughs> B, I didn't like you before, Chizuru, but now, for some reason, I'm really fucking attracted to you, and I'm gonna make you my wife. And <laughs> Iba is against that, of course, and basically, the two of them have a pretty significant fight that leads to... You and Iba jumping off a cliff to more or less save yourselves from Takeda's wrath. And before you jump off, Takeda also mentions, oh, by the way, you should talk to Iba about these thoughts too, because I'm pretty sure he's going to corroborate some of this. And Oh, so he's all, so he's got, so it's not that he's attracted to you. The arm is attracted to you. Got it. Yes, basically, <laughs> there's some there's some Metal Gear Solid 2 ass, the arm is interfering with the thought situation, where the demon arm is starting to possess both of them to a, to a certain degree, and basically, that's why he did the whole push-against-wall thing earlier. As the two of you are kind of healing, it gets to a point where, like... Iba starts to despise you on some level where he's just constantly looking for excuses not to be near you and tries to send you away multiple times until he more or less says, okay, yeah, for some reason, I I do have this attraction to you, but this arm is also making me act in ways that 
terrify me and it makes me have these bad thoughts and after you kind of talk to him about it he gets to a point where he pins you on the ground and is about to like have sex with you like to the point where it seems like he's about to sexually assault you and Shizuru even gets to the point where she's like okay if this is just what he needs to do I'm just gonna lay down and it'll be over and stuff but he ends up pulling the arm away at the last minute and fighting the thoughts off and he he more or less sends he more or less runs out and spends some time away from you at which point sen comes and uh kind of talks about how okay he's having these thoughts but also on some level well basically the idea is that the demon spirit of this arm, since demons find it very important to, like... Male demons find it very important to, like, protect female demons. <laughs> Basically, the arm is pushing Eva to be like, okay, no. Um, protecting her is going to be my responsibility as the arm. And the way that Eva causes this to no longer be the case is by admitting his own feelings and how they line up with the arm more or less. And he more or less tames the spirit of his arm by admitting his feelings for you. <laughs> and Sen describes it as like, okay, no, the demon arm, once it sensed your intentions to protect this demon girl, it was like, okay, okay, we're cool. You could just take over now. <laughs> And, um... Okay. Because of that, Eva suddenly is... Because he's few, he's completely synchronized himself with the arm, and him and the demon spirit are one. Um, that means when he finally fights against Takeda again, he has the edge against Takeda, because love and matrimony and whatever ended up being the secret sauce to being super fucking powerful with this arm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I get to put timestamps that people want to skip the fucking content warning on that shit. Yeah. <sighs> and it's it's also a situation where, like, after everything happens, Iba goes to Sen is like, okay, real talk, I don't think I can give you back this arm like we talked about because it has kind of bonded itself to me and... Like, A, I don't know what happens if I remove it, and B, I don't want to remove it because the two of us are bros now, so. <laughs> right, sure. Yeah, it's, I get why this is here in terms of, like, the arm kind of almost sexually assaulting you and stuff like that because, like, there is a degree to which fiction is kind of a place where you can kind of explore certain ugly fantasies sometimes and like Chizuru is so clearly the player character that's in it it's intended as okay what if a demon felt this way about you and stuff but uh it is the kind of thing where I wish it had given a warning about it beforehand because it is intense to basically suddenly see the text I'll let him have his way with me yeah it doesn't seem great um I I, I hear what you're saying and I do think like I don't know. I I think it is valuable to be able to deal with these kinds of stories, right? Um, 
I don't know. It doesn't sound like it's super elegantly handled, I guess. And yeah. I feel like that, you have to be pretty careful thing. with the shit. So. Yeah, that's the thing. A, because it's like, oh, the demon's making me do it. And B, just the whole... The way that it is very weird with gender in, in that way, just in terms of like, oh, okay, the this male demon arm just sensed this female demon and was suddenly like, oh, this is gender role and stuff. Like... <laughs> See, this is disappointing because you said there was gender stuff. And I was like, if it turns out that Eba's a girl, then this rules. But no. Yeah, sadly, it doesn't work out that way. Still no female love interest in this game. Uh, Spoilers for the next two characters, I guess. (laughs) It's a shame because, like, if I kind of imagined a situation where, I don't know, I think it'd be cool if you and Princess Sen ran off together because the two of you are really cool together. But yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I, I also get how they end up writing this very weird route because, yeah, it is, it is of course, one of the ones added for the remake. Um, and I would also be sick about writing about the Shinsengumi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just be like, I'm going to write a completely different story. Fuck you. It's so funny that they have to see Takeda um, and so in every other route he's there in literally like two scenes being a jackass just showing up and being a little twerp and just like (laughs) okay well I guess that guy disappeared from the world (laughs) it's pretty funny too because like the first uh, in Kyoto wins Takeda is just constantly talking about how he's the best at everything and is just out loud whining in the Dio voice about how no one explains anything to him (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's this funny mix uh, yeah. I'll also mention that in the Ibo route you also spend a little bit more time with Kotaro uh, Botoyama who is a character that you probably don't even recognize from other parts of the game like he's from Iba's, uh unit or at least one of the former units and uh, he's, he's someone who basically more or less catches on to you and Iba being close before even Eba realizes it, and is just constantly making jokes about, hey, why don't you tell all the guys that, that she's your wife, eh? You must be so lucky to have someone cooking for you and all that. And Eba's just constantly just being like, no, what the fuck, dude? I that, I don't feel like that at all. What are you saying? And getting very embarrassed. Yeah, he is not at any other route. I will note, looking at his Hakuoki uh, fandom page, clicking between his Eastern and Western uh, looks... That boy finally figured out what to do with his fucking hair, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could say that. Uh, yeah, his his eastern look, he just... he he That doesn't work, man. That's not it. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, his western look has an interesting part going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, we're almost to two more, Jen. Two more. All right. Deep breaths. <laughs> now we're talking about Ryoma Sakamoto. Um, a samurai of the Tosa domain, Sakamoto grows to great influence as a futurist, pushing for both the embracing of Western technology and ideas, while also guarding against Western influence culturally and politically. In most routes, this gets him swiftly assassinated, but if you see more of him, he is a charming rogue with his eyes set firmly on the future. And... 
<laughs> I'll just add to this based on some of the stuff you've shown me. Also, his eyes firmly set on your body. <laughs> He's very modern, right? And like, it is interesting because he is like, first of all, just getting this out of the way. I am asexual. I am a romantic. That doesn't mean I don't have things, and one of them is Kansai Ben. This man speaks with a Kansai Ben, and it is... I like it. <laughs> that one gets... It's that and glasses. Those are the two things. Um, but um, the thing about this guy is he, like... He is written very similar to, like, a Han Solo, right? And, like, I don't mean, like, for the era. I mean, like, he's written similarly to a Han Solo. I mean, he talks in a more modern way than the rest of the characters. He's more casual. He has arguments with people. Like, there's a point where he has a, where they finally come to a sort of peace, where he has a big argument with um, Hijikata, where Hijikata's like, I have to see this through to the end. And Ryoma's like, why? Walk away, my guy. Dying is pointless. You can't do shit when you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh. uh. Um, I, I just want to say it's amazing that we've ended up talking about two games featuring Ryoma Sakamoto this month. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Um, and yeah, like he is historically probably the most important character in this game. Um, first of all, they don't mention this in here, but the Satsuma Choshu Alliance, he did that. He talked those two into joining forces. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> he also is responsible for like a lot of basically a lot of the weapon, the modern weapons and stuff are his work, his like his influence because yeah, he, um, he is a guy who saw Commodore Perry when he showed up. Right. And he was really moved by that and was like, I think japan is it's inevitable that japan is going to move into the future and the question is basically are we going to do it on our terms or someone else's is the way he saw it um people call him the father of the japanese navy as well because of his steps on that front um and so for him it's really interesting because he's a character who's like he's he's this revolutionary he's like really like aggressively pushing for the future um and then he dies um, he gets assassinated and he drinks the water of life to survive that. And the, the like over bits and pieces, what you get from him is like, listen, I wanted to change the world and then I got killed for that. So like, I guess I want to fucking like clean up my loosens and get out of here. Fuck all this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an incredible way to take a important historical figure. <laughs> I really, really enjoyed his route. Um, he like his his goal which he manages to achieve he's like okay we're gonna do all this and then we're gonna become pirates and you're like yeah <laughs> um, and you're like like the, there's not a but he's like we're going to adventure on the high seas and, and like this pirates he wants to be pirates and you get your own <laughs> ship at the end and you sail off um and he does like the titanic thing like holding you it's very funny um <laughs> And, like, yeah, as Jen pointed out, he is a really shameless flirt. Um, he literally has a line where, where <laughs> you're, you're like, uh, you're like, well, like, you know, here, there, here's my house. We needed a place to stay. 
Um, we got to figure out a betting situation. And he's like, you know, look, despite appearances, I really wouldn't mind being stepped on. So we can just you're like, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> and he's just like that all the time. He's always on one. And as I say, he's 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 a flirt. But Harada is a very like flirt of the time. Right. He's doing like like grab your chin and like being very chivalrous. Whereas Sakamoto's like like. Like, you meet up with the Shinsengumi, and they're like, man, you two are really into each other. And Sakamoto's like, yeah, she doesn't want to have sex right now, but damn. (laughs) 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 It's just like, Sakamoto, shut the fuck up. God damn. Um, (laughs) It's also, he is also, in a weird way, one of the best fighters. um, Because he's not much of a swordsman, but he has a revolver with silver bullets. So whenever Furies show up, he just goes, ba-ba-ba-ba-bang, and they're all dead. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of his his route is basically like he um, one of his friends was um, was also with him and trying to change the world. Right. Um, and whereas his, his attitude once he gets killed and is given a water of life is like, well, I guess that's my run. <laughs> I'm out of here. Um, his friend is like, well, fuck this. It, like I was trying to do all this. I was trying to be good about this. And now you kill me. Now I want revenge, you know, on, uh, on, on the Tosa, on the domain we came from because they treated us like shit. And I'm going to join up with Kodo when we're going to use the water of life. Um, and Sakamoto's like, this is a, this is a bad, it's a bad call, man. Why are you doing this? Um, and eventually he kills him and his friend is like, yeah, I guess that was a bad call. Sorry, man. <laughs> and you're like, and he's like, Hey, you know what happens? Anyway, I'm going to go be a pirate. <laughs> uh, I I personally think it will probably be like many months before I'm even willing to touch this game again just because of burnout. I like this game a lot, though. Um, if you ever come back to this game, you should do Sakamoto's Route. It's really fun. Okay, yeah. I- I'd be down to revisit it at some point, too. The only bummer is we never get uh, Sakamoto versus Shiranui, the two revolver boys facing off. Um, I guess because at that point they'd have to admit that Sakamoto would just lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're dealing with a guy who wears a bandana around his neck and just has the cowboy lo- lifestyle down pat. <laughs> also, gonna... he's a demon. That helps. Yeah, that too. <laughs> It is it is a it is a missed opportunity to never give him a harmonica. <laughs> God, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, but it's really like there are a lot of beyond just like the general vibes, there are a lot of really good conversations with him where he is like he's nostalgic, but he doesn't let nostalgia get in the way of what he thinks needs to happen. And it's just it's really interesting just talking to him about the world because he's a dude who's like, listen. The West is going to come, right? And, like, it's not a thing about the West. It's a thing about people. If you give them territory and you don't put up opposition, they will take it. So we need to make sure that while we work with them, they are not our, you know, we they are not ruling over us. And part of doing that is embracing their ideas, but knowing the limits of that. And also, God, I want to take a nap. And you're like, you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that sounds yeah. pretty good. And that brings us to our final route here with Chikage Kazuma, uh, head of the Kazuma clan. Kazuma is arrogant and imperious, but has the strength to back it up and then some. 
His insistence that Shiruzu is to be his wife regardless of her wishes does him no favors, but there is a certain nobility to the man when he's not being a huge, huge asshole. Yeah, th this might be the point where I go ahead and admit that now that I've played both of his routes in, like, um, Kyoto and Edo, like, Kasuma's voice, Kendro Suda, like, in this game, it's like fucking Asmer. <laughs> he's just very ASMR. His voice is just incredibly <laughs> calming. It's like, what the fuck is an Asmer? Like, oh, okay, all right. Yeah, I, I don't, maybe people don't pronounce it like that usually. i don't hear people say it very much i hear them type i see them type it i don't hear them type it i don't have a microphone but um yeah i don't i don't know then <laughs> he just has this nice fucking low growl to him as he's talking i'd say yeah he does he he also like he has spikes of volume when he gets really pissed but generally even when he's kind of mad he's just like you fucking worm and you're like all right <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yeah, yeah, so this is a route that we both did. Um, <clears throat> this was kind of my my pet project in the first in our first episode when we did Kyoto. Um, and when you were like, "Hey, you really need to do uh, Hijikata," I was like, "Okay, well then you have to do fucking Kazuma." Um, and I am I'm hoping we both appreciated that choice in the end. Yeah, like cosmo when you're playing in his route his insistence on you being his wife is less of a weird threat and more of kind of just like a charming thing about him in that he's just constantly persistent about how things are gonna turn like it it is kind of it almost soured me when i saw him in um Okita's route because like his reaction to you drinking to you being force fed the water of life is like oh so you're just a fucking fake now you've spoiled your blood you're disgusting get out of my sight and just disappears but uh in this one he's pretty he's pretty nice <laughs> deep down <laughs> yeah I think I mean he does get subject to a big problem of this game of the inconsistent characterization between roots but i don't think he's as bad as some characters at that and largely what it comes down to is he is a dude who like he has something he wants and once he basically gets it he mellows out a fuckload yeah and much like hichikata he does have that funny relationship with chizuru where um He's constantly getting talked back to, and he does express frustration, but it's also clear he finds it kind of charming, sometimes even respects it in a way. Like, uh, a lot of this route is more or less you standing up for yourself, being like, no, I am I am the new head of the Yukimura clan. I, I have a right to like listen in on demon conversations and be part of actions it is my responsibility to stop my father and in the case of this route he finds that deeply noble and uh respects it a whole lot but he also still will never like he never pulls his punches right like it is interesting because i i sort of feared this was going to be a scene that was going to have some like content warnings attached to it he is never inappropriate actually 
Um, but he still does have moments where like at the beginning of the Edo Blossoms part where you're like, I need to find my, 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 my dad and my brother and talk to them about this. They, this is, this is crazy. They can't do this. And his line, I screenshotted it. His line directly is how delusional can you be if you think they will entertain any of your asinine opinions? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But at the it's one of the few routes where he does kind of wait for your go ahead to go ahead and like clean this shit up. Like he mm-hmm. does give you the space to talk with them and try and air things out. And when he realizes it's not going anywhere, he goes into action, but he does wait for your all clear before he kills your dad. Basically. Yeah. You have, he waits for you. Like there's a, there's a moment where he's standing there sword drawn and he waits for you and you nod and then he goes into it. Um, Another thing that's kind of, I, I really like this route, like talking about it last, I think it's a really good like capper on the game because this is a route kind of about how doom, like sort of like there's a point where um you are constantly chasing around the Shinsengumi and just missing them and seeing sort of like the, the death left in their wake and the tragedy left in their wake. Um, and there's a point where like, you're like, well, I need Kazuma with me. I can't really defend myself. Um, and the thing you say to him, a dialogue choice you make, because you have another thing to say, but this is the right thing to say is, will you come with me to, to witness the end? Basically it's like, we have a responsibility. Like, yeah, they're going to die. We know this at this point, they are doomed because of the nobility of their cause. And because of the time we've spent with them, though, our relationships are different. We should be the ones to see it through. We should be the ones to watch it end. Yeah. And it's through traveling to Izo and witnessing that end that Cosmo finally understands why you adore the Shinsengumi more or less. Like, mm-hmm. he he still... He calls their death foolish, but when you, like, push back, he's like, no, you don't understand. It was a foolish act, but it was a respectable one. Mm-hmm. Like, much like how Cosmo, like, in many of these routes and in the first half of this game, went out of the way to intervene against fakes and stuff. Um, because that's something he strongly believed in, as well as chasing you. The Shinsengumi has been pushing against the flow of time to, like, more or less stand for what they believe in as they disappear. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, um, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to give you some time to sort out your feelings. I just killed your brother. I killed your dad a little earlier. All the Shinsengumi died. Uh, you have a lot to think about. So I'm going to give you like three months and then I'm going to show up and you're going to marry me. And you're like, <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. And he's like, all right, see you in three months. <laughs> also, then- <laughs> he does have things he has to take care of too, because he True. recognizes that uh, after this war, like in the past the various forces of the various human nobility and other forces have decided to either use demons or kill them because they're in their way. And he kind of sees the, he kind of sees the winds change and understands, okay, we need to relocate and figure out how we're going to stand against humans or get out of their way. If they come for us again, when they come for us again. So I'm going to take care of that. Yeah. 
And then uh, you, so for three months, you run your, you op- reopen the uh, the Yukimura like medical clinic, and you run that for a bit. And then he shows up and he's like, "Hey, chop chop, let's go get married." And you're like, "I didn't say I was gonna do that." And he said, "Yeah, but you're gonna." And you're like, ah, "I guess I'm gonna." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's one of those situations where by that point. The arc of his insistence has finally become charming just because he knows how to do it in a way that feels, like, respectful of you in a way. And, yeah, the two of you just go off together. Yeah. Um, it's I, I like this route a lot. Yeah, I'm really glad I went back and played it because he is very charming when you get to know him a bit. And when he's not cast to be a complete asshole, which he occasionally is. <laughs> yeah, he occasionally is. The only route that neither of us did was Yukimura's path, which uh, involves you not getting with anyone and is just like, seems to just be a story of you witnessing everyone die. Yeah. And I think, like, I thought about doing it, but I think, like, from from what I've heard about it and the other stuff we've done, we we get the picture, right? We get the we've gotten the tragic, you know, watching the tragic end a couple of times over. So yep, like if I had to guess at its ultimate point, it's probably just okay. Here's the historical things as they happened. <laughs> Plus, you know, demons. <laughs> that too, yeah. Plus demons. <sighs> yeah. So that is all the roots of Hakuoki Edo blossoms and therefore respectively also Kyoto wins um all right overall thoughts overall I quite like returning to this game like I though I also think that by replaying the first half I realized I kind of just enjoyed the first half more it might just be because it's more of an up note that a lot of the events happen on. You're kind of just seeing the Shinsengumi in its prime, hanging out with them as they have fun eating dinner together and going on various successful battles and stuff while the second half is all just watching everyone around you die. But, uh... Yeah, it's one of those situations where I am glad I revisited it too, if only because I've never seen a two-part Otome quite like this. Especially with the way that it just, for the second game, it's just, okay, you choose the route and you're just going to see the story that way. Mm-hmm. I think I liked Edo Blossoms better because, like, I mean, for several characters, it was like I had to back up. Like, um, here's here's the thing that I don't think I said on air last time because I felt embarrassed about it. I We said on that episode that we really underestimated how long it would take. Um, I ended up, like, reading summaries of a few routes that I didn't get to finish, which I was, it was, uh, Harada and Soma. I didn't end up finding time for, um, which then makes it ironic that I did even more roots this time. Uh, no summaries here. Uh, so I ended <laughs> up having to go back and do roots that I like, I had to play what four Kyoto wins roots. Is that right? I had to do Heisuke, Soma, uh, Hichikata, uh, Hichikata, Harada and uh, no, I think that's it. I think it's just four. Um, And so I got to see a fair bit of Kyoto again. And I think 
I it's you know it's inherent to it being the second half of this. It's an unfair advantage, but it's an advantage all the same. I really like that there's no repeat writing. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, that is a bonus. Like several of the same events happen every time, but they're all written in a slightly different way, and it's kind of nice to just see them focus in on. Clearly, it was a big effort to make one game, two games like this, and even more effort to, like, create entirely unique routes for the second half. But, uh, yeah. I I do appreciate how much work went into this, because mm-hmm. it means that going back and playing the other routes isn't as much of a burden. You're not just sitting there with the four skip button on and, uh watching all the texts fly by. Yeah. I think, yeah, we've mentioned several times the, the inconsistent characterization and I understand, but I do find it a bit of a bummer. Um, and I mentioned like one of the things that this has me thinking a lot about that I, I want to write an article about, but I need to play more stuff just to have enough, enough, you know, reference material to, to do this proper. But I, I just am thinking so much about how Otome games like, rely on this weird disempowerment fantasy. Um, and I don't know, like most of the staff that worked on this game were men. Probably doesn't surprise you to know because it's game development. So of course, um, and I, that makes it the case for most Otome games. And I, I want to know to what degree it's a historical thing or it's just the modern form of Otome games that it is such a disempowerment fantasy that the dream is to become put on a pedestal and not able to do anything. Um, because I find it kind of exasperating that even when you are given like quote unquote autonomy and power in these games, it is through asking your boyfriend to do something. And I just, I just find that like, that's fine to be a thing in a story for it to be a thing in every one of these stories makes me unhappy. Especially since there's more than one route in the first half where a very talented swordsman will see your style. And even though they could kick your ass, they watch you fight and you're like, okay, you, you can hold your own. You aren't the worst at this, and I'll teach you more. But uh, that never comes to anything. It's it's especially frustrating because, like, there are some Japan-exclusive spinoffs, especially for the PSP. And one of them is straight-up a action RPG where you're playing a different woman, and you're just basically cutting through guys and furies and holding your own as you hang out with the Shinsengumi. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I, I wish we'd gotten to see that one. Um, I, you know, there's still time for them to, you know, bring it over or something as a Switch version, I guess, but I bet they won't. Um, it's just very frustrating. Um, I will note, actually, n- um, none of these are out on Switch in the United States. There is um, uh, Shinkai Fukuden, which is another remake, I guess, Um which came out a couple years ago on Switch, but didn't make it over here. Yeah, this is a game that made me really wish I had a Steam Deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
obviously I'm not going to be getting a Steam Deck for some time, if only because I way overpaid on a PS5. But uh, yeah, at, at a certain point, I'm just looking at doing more novel, not new stuff in the future. Like, damn, having a having a portable PC that's not a laptop would be very useful. Yeah, uh, hard agree. That would be that would be great. Um, I I think I will I will also get one at some point. Like this podcast is the argument for getting a Steam Deck for me. <laughs> And not Same. just this this episode of it, this whole podcast. Um, yeah. Like, sometimes you just want to lay in bed and read a visual novel. What better time is there for a samurai boy to, sweet, to whisper sweet nothings to you than when you're already lying down? <laughs> Indeed. That's the right mindset there. Um, but yeah, I want to... Um, there is uh, a a recent uh, Otome game that came out called Birushana that I want to try out, um, which is also set in this time period. But you are yourself like the, the the female lead is herself a warlord, and it's like, hey, I would love to see if you still get, you get to have actual autonomy there. Um, and yeah, I just I just I want to see this change. Yeah, it, it'd be nice, and I I hope that. Uh... Beershana ends up living up to your expectations once it's once you end up picking up. Yeah, it's going to be a little while because uh, this is we won't cover this on novel not new, but I am going to be playing. I suspect a lot of Saints Row, so that's going to be my time. <laughs> yep. That and you know our next game club game, but we can't say that just yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in terms of in terms of playing things on the go too, like. Speaking of Switch visual novels, I've ended up pre-ordering Chaos Head Noah slash Chaos Child on the Switch because, what do you know, like, when we started this podcast, Steam was already getting into a situation, they were having one of their semi-annual situations where they go, hey, maybe we shouldn't let visual novels on anymore, and what do you know, it's happening again. Yep. Fuck them. Yep. But you can, like, install Windows on a Steam Deck, so there are ways around it. <laughs> well, and I don't know how, like, I bet this won't get as much traction as the other ones, given just how much explicit porn there is on Steam now. I feel like this one won't have much. Like, what argument, like, you know, not that they have to have a good argument. Steam can do whatever the fuck, they or Valve can do whatever the fuck they want. But at least internally, how can you be like, hey... We can't have these games. They sometimes show nudity. And you're like, guys, okay, let's look at Steam new and trending. Uh, Fresh Women Season 1. No points for guessing what that's about. <laughs> Zero points. Negative I, points. I do think the Steam rejection will be overturned because A, the sequel is already up on Steam, and B... um. It's Spike Chunsoft, who, they're not the biggest publisher, but they're big enough to be featured on ads for the Steam Deck. So, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. Sorry for that diversion, just... Yeah. We are, we are interested in the fate of visual novels. It is kind of our responsibility to be that, given the show we do. Um, yep. Are you ready for some questions? I am. Okay. Our first email comes in from Emrys, and it is uh, addressed to all hosts past and present, 
So, Olivia, M, if you're listening, uh, I expect your responses as well. Uh, This podcast was a major factor in getting over stupid hangups, finally checking out visual novels, and realizing I love them. I've really, really enjoyed the pod. Excited to see how the next phase of the adventure goes. Thanks, Emrys. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that with us. We really appreciate it. it. It's that kind of, it's that kind of response that keeps us going on here. So that we don't get a lot of because people don't write fucking emails. <laughs> oh come on! Don't shame our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I put out so many calls for emails. I got three. I'll take it. But like, y'all need to step up. I'm going to say it. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> Our next one comes in from M. Uh, obviously, Abnormal Mapping's M and uh, previous co-host of this show. Hakuoki is a weird one because I remember playing the game on the PSP back when it was new and having not really played an Otome game before, being really taken with it, but also played Soji's Root and really liked it. Then on my second time, got a route I didn't enjoy. Uh, no idea who. Looking up the boys didn't jog my memory. So I only played as much as that, but remembered it fondly. This is so antithetical to how I play games now that it's almost charming. But do you remember a pre-critic world when you just kind of did things the wrong way or incomplete way, and it actually paid off in establishing a good memory? Anyway, keep up the good work. I'm excited for next month. Get the hell off my website. With love, M. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those situations where, like, it's almost sad in a way where the older you get and the more time you spend with games, like, the more you just start getting into a mindset where you can kind of see all the boundaries around you and sometimes you even catch yourself playing games in a way that looks like a goddamn E3 presentation in terms of, like, okay, I need to look here to see a scripted event or I need to do this to move forward because that's how all the other games work. But uh, there have some, been some really entertaining moments when I was a kid that just burned a game into my memory. Like, this isn't a visual novel, but uh, I had a lot of fun playing Zork Nemesis as a kid a little bit earlier than I should have because it's an FMV game and it's kind of gory. But uh, there's a bit where, like, at the very beginning of the game... I was just hanging out in a graveyard and suddenly I had to go to the bathroom and kept the game unpaused. I came back to the game and suddenly I was just at a death screen. So for years that made me paranoid about first person adventure games, like even something as empty as Mist, because all mm-hmm. I could think about was, okay, what if there's just a guy chasing me that the game hasn't told me about? <laughs> <laughs> so I would basically... I would make a little progress in Mist, and when I was feeling sufficiently creeped out, I would just run into the little library section, click the portal so the door would close, and just hang out in there for a bit (laughs) until I felt it was safe to come out again. And, like, I do think it's good that over time I've understood more about what games can and can't do, but I do kind of love those moments when I was a kid and felt like games contained everything and i could just like walk past the boundaries if i wanted to like even the boundaries of the story Mm -hmm. and uh i do kind of miss that sometimes yeah 
Um, I think it's, it's, you sort of hinted at this, but it's a thing where a lot of like how I play games has not necessarily changed that much, though it has, and I'll, I'll give an example, but a lot of it has been the way I think about games, right? Um, like, honestly, I feel like there are times where I am more grumpy and more critical. I focus more on the negative while playing instead of just like, just having a nice time, right? Um, and I don't necessarily love that about myself these days, but it, it is just kind of true. Um, I was thinking recently, I tweeted a little bit about this, so apologies if you saw those tweets and this is kind of redundant for you. But one example that hit me before I was a critic was I played a lot of uh, Far Cry 2 on 360. Um, and uh, very early on in that game, I discovered a mechanic that game has that very few other shooters do, which is the idea of, you know, like guns jamming, right? Um, that game had like weapon durability and the more, uh, the more you wore it down, the odds of it jamming went up. And when a gun jams, you had to, you know, like mash buttons and stuff to uh, like clear the jam. Um, and I found the moments this created so fun where like you would be in a tense gun fight and like just suddenly it'd be like, oh shit. And now my gun doesn't work. Um, I found that so fun that every time I took like a contract um, you have like a, a safe house where you have like perfect pristine condition versions of any gun you've unlocked. So I would go and I'd pick my loadout for that mission. And then I'd just shoot like four or five magazines off into the air to lower the, the condition of the gun um, <laughs> and then fill back up on ammo. And because I wanted the guns to jam on me, um, I even would have like I also learned about um, if the condition gets low enough there is a chance when it jams for the gun to just like explode. One assumes what's happening is the bullet like misfires and like hits the magazine and detonates. The, I don't know something, but um, <clears throat> when a mission seemed like it was going to be too easy, I would get one of the one of the automatics and then bring the condition really low. So not just jamming, there was a risk of it exploding in my hands. Um, it was really fun. I would never play like that these days. <laughs> That did remind me of one other story when I was a little bit younger, though it's less playing through an entire game like this and more just like playing the beginning of a game a bunch of times. Where sure. just uh <laughs> Oh is if this okay. This is a called shot, if this is wrong, whatever. Are you like me and you played Destiny Island again Kingdom Hearts one like a dozen times? <laughs> I did, but that was not the story I was about to go to. <laughs> so you you were half right there. Um I was I really liked Half-Life 1, but I was a baby at the time in terms of, like, horror, so... I did! I bet I did this exact same thing! Please continue. So, I would just play the game a bunch of times, except I would play up to the point where things started going wrong and headcrabs started coming out, and I would just start the game over. Like, I was just happy enough to sit through this scripted sequence of you sitting on the tram, going through the entirety of Black Mesa, meeting your co-workers, getting in the suit pushing the thing, slumping the cart into the beam, and then being like, okay, I'm done with it now. I can't wait to play the intro again later. <laughs> okay, mine was similar, but it was more a sociopathic little kid, right? Um, which was, I would start the game, I would do the cheat that gave me every weapon, I would kill every scientist in funny ways, and then I would restart. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
I did a little bit of that in GoldenEye in terms of just, like, failing the objective purposefully. And, like, the world is not enough for a Nintendo 64. But, yeah. Sure. Uh, back when we were more innocent. <laughs> more innocent in terms of just, like, shooting all the innocent uh, <laughs> NPCs. <laughs> Our last question comes in from Hilver. Uh, hi, last minute novel, not new question. How would you envision a visual novel on an ebook? That's really interesting. Like, I think, I feel like that is something you could totally do with an e-reader. Like, in my mind, you would have, like, a super high detailed image of, like, a character at the top and the background and stuff. Much like a regular visual novel is presented, except in black and white. And, like, you could have half of the bottom screen dedicated to the actual text and uh you could totally set up hyperlinks and stuff in there like that to advance the story and like some of these more modern e-readers even have bluetooth support so i bet you could like put on a pair of headphones and get voice acting or sound effects if you wanted to the thing is like sound effects aside what you're describing is called a choose your own adventure and I'm not right. saying that as a, I'm not saying that as a dunk. There are some great choose your own adventures. Um, it's just like I think that's basically what you would have to make, right? Um, because at that point, you know, that's that's I think I I do think like I don't have an ebook. I am I am one of the people who I don't have any problem with ebooks. I know this. There's nothing intellectual about this. This is purely like you know like low-level brain stuff but i just really love the feeling of pages and i can't let go of it basically yeah um, I, I, I will say you're not the only one in that regard like that's a very common feeling with uh e-readers like with books you're picking up things of various shapes and sizes the text is sized differently the paper feels a little different you get unique covers and stuff like that well me here with this uh kobo libra 2 um I'm basically just staring at the same tablet all the time. Plus, it doesn't have the smell either. Smell I guess nice. that's true. Yeah, you can't really smell paper. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of little, a lot of little things, and I don't like. Yeah, as I say, it, it's it's just the feeling you get. Um, so I don't have I don't have an ebook myself, and so I have less experience with them. But I feel like there could be a a pretty. I mean, I don't know if the market is there, but you could make really streamlined choose your own adventures with an ebook yeah I, I think so too um i really haven't seen them mostly because it feels like for sensibly i'd say lots of authors who publish ebooks and stuff they want them they want to publish them in the most places possible which means they have to be published in various storefronts and uh work on all sorts of devices like not just an e-reader but your phone your computer all of that sure, so sure and like there is a benefit to just like the fact that a proper ebook is typically not any larger than three to five megabytes and even that's usually on the larger size so mm -hmm. adding a bunch of images and stuff like that would balloon the size up pretty significantly sure sure that's more of a that's that's more of an argument that you can't make Otome ebooks, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Having something more kinetic or even just having a few choices, I imagine 
You you could figure out a way to do that. I bet you could do something like that. I was about to say you could do Fate, and I realized they literally did. Fate Zero is a light novel. I yeah. am retiring in embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> they have written books about fate. <laughs> lower Lowercase f fate, though. Just the concept of fate. Lots of books about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's gonna do it for emails. Um, I This is usually the point where I would say... If you have any questions or comments about this or other episodes, you should send an email to this address. But, like, I don't think we've worked out a new email address for the podcast yet. And basically what I'm going to tell you, we'll make one uh, kind of as a formality. I think, honestly, my DMs are open on Twitter. I think that's probably the best way to do it. Also, if you, since it's going to be a, a Patreon show, if you're a patron, feel free to message us with anything. That's also fine. Um we will make an email. I will put it in the show notes by the time this comes out. Um, but yeah, there are probably more convenient ways to do it for you. Yeah. Um, and this is, yeah, we're, um, we're going to be calling time on, on abnormal mapping. Um, yeah, it's like, this show started because I was basically on Twitter complaining about how much, how major press in gaming doesn't really give visual novels their due and like how it'd be valuable to have a podcast that went over that stuff. And M kind of messaged me like, Hey, why don't we just do this? And, uh, together we ended up starting it with, uh, myself, M and six. And, uh, yeah, we've been doing this for four years now, and, uh, we've gone through various hosts, and, uh, throughout it all, I feel like we've definitely grown as both narrative gaming critics and just podcasters in general. Like, mm-hmm. this was my first ever hosting gig, and it's still my main hosting gig, and, uh, there's times where I still kind of slip up, but overall I feel like I'm much more confident in it than I used to be. And uh, I'm just really happy with the breadth of games we've covered. And also there's been various points where we ended up covering something that challenged us, like the episodes where we're covering Lady Killer in a Bind or Kindred Spirits on a Roof, or to name a more recent example, um, Getting the Car Loser. Like... I feel like this show and its best like gets a bunch of interesting conversations out of us that uh, I never would have had on Twitter or in other forms. And I really love that about it. And I also want to reiterate, this is not a goodbye. We are still going to be, we might be, we are moving to a different location, but we're still going to, we're still going to go through all the narrative games that interest us. And I'm looking forward to the many guests and conversations we're going to have out of it. Yeah, because uh, we have a pretty killer lineup uh, for the rest of the year um, with, with various guests. Um, If, if nothing changes, you know, obviously things, you know, things could, could go sideways. Things like people could cancel, things could not work out, but the way it is lined up, um, we have for the next four months, we have a new guest and a new visual novel every month. Um, 
we can go ahead and tell you right now that next month we are going to be having our first episode over on the Scanline Media Patreon, which is we will be doing Tsukihime with M. Uh, and Marco of Abnormal Mapping, who just sent an email, uh, former co-host, is going to be back on the show as a guest uh, to tackle one of the one of the most you know famous visual novels out there. And then uh, not willing, not ready to talk about guest just yet. But the month after that, we're going to be doing Raging Loop, which is a uh, a, a big visual novel that is basically like uh, like the social deduction game Werewolf as a visual novel. Yeah. And I know that uh, I know that that's going to be interesting for you as well, just because you're not usually into horror games. So, but I do think it's going to be an interesting one to cover. Yeah, you know, it, it, the one nice thing about like I I don't do horror well, but the fact the be, ability to control the pacing of a visual novel will make it slightly easier, and uh, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> Indeed. But. In the future, if you want to find the show, all old episodes will remain up on Abnormal Mapping. You can find them all by, you know, any any podcatcher just searching for Abnormal Mapping. But future episodes are all going to go up on the Scanline Media Patreon, patreon.com slash scanline media. Uh, it is going to be at our $5 monthly tier uh, that you'll get these episodes. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I hope by giving it a more prominent spot, we can sort of motivate ourselves to be be even more ambitious than we've been so far yeah and i do feel strongly about uh having this work as accessible as possible so we don't have any firm plans yet but uh six and i are working on like potentially time gating some of the future episodes so that uh some of them might be freely available after a period of time mm-hmm yeah, um, you can find me at uh, JBU3 on Twitter, and most of my stuff is on ScanlineMedia.com or Patreon.com slash ScanlineMedia. How about you, Six? Uh, I'm also Patreon.com slash ScanlineMedia and ScanlineMedia.com. And as far as my Twitter, you can find me at SixDetmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. Uh, my DMs are open. Anyone can DM me. So any thoughts about the show, any questions, any, you know, air quotes emails you want to send just hit me up there all right and let's say it together this time all right huh let's say say it together together. yeah three two yes ten god (laughs) okay fuck it just all right whatever it's ruined now quick save quick save (laughs) 